0: The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code Dyeshrink for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. Uh, Today, I am joined by, I guess I'm pretty excited about, although (laughs) I don't think it's our typical fare, but it's certainly someone who's written a lot about things that run on gaming hardware. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm Colin
1: Moriarty, and uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. Uh, I mean, you have... I mean, how, how big is your podcast? I mean, is it, is it, so it's technically the biggest PlayStation podcast, right? Is it technically the biggest gaming podcast or? No, I don't, I don't know that we're the biggest gaming podcast.
1: We are the most, we are the biggest gaming media or like gaming podcast, Patreon in the world though. Um, so we kind of, we have a PlayStation show that's our flagship. And then we have a smaller Xbox show and a smaller like retro show, uh, that we, we do. So the PlayStation show kind of like pulls most of the weight, but it's the biggest PlayStation show, but yeah, I, w- I think probably games like you would just or podcasts, I'm sorry, like Giant Bomb or something like that would probably be bigger. So
0: hard to say. They don't. I don't know their numbers, so. Well, and speaking of the other shows you have, I mean, the flagship is Sacred Symbols that, you know, you're one of the co-hosts with, co-hosts with Chris Reagan on that one, and now Dustin a as well. And then you also have an Xbox show, though, um, and ACG from that one is planning to come on... Broken Silicon within a month as well. So for all of those wondering, let me just say it out of the gate. This is not, I'm not now a PlayStation fanboy for having Colin on. I'll have an Xbox podcaster on soon as well. Although, frankly, I don't care. I just like talking to people who have interesting opinions, whether they are part of whatever show. And I think, Colin, you have a lot of interesting and, I mean, let's just be honest, well thought out opinions that I think is severely lacking in gaming. (laughs) Thank you. I I appreciate that. I try to at least come from somewhere. If people can't
1: understand, like I get things wrong because I I talk all the time, so I'm going to get things wrong. But I I hope that like when I do, people at least understand why I drew the conclusion that I did. That's the most important thing to me.
0: Wait, I mean, like I saw, I don't know if it's prudent for me to bring it up, but like I saw on Twitter, for example someone go, Colin now thinks for sure they're bringing Ratchet and Clank to PS4. And I'm like, I don't think he said that. I think you said they could maybe because they're bringing other games. And that was just throwing an idea out there. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, no, you're not wrong at all.
1: Also, uh, I said, you know, I, I try to look at sacred symbols as a conversation that just goes on for hundreds and thousands of hours, basically. <laughs> and so I do have some sort of expectation, although it's not fair necessarily that people know like what we've already said. And that's unfair. But the Ratchet thing had kind of evolved because at first I was like, well, I, I, I believed them. And then when we see all this other stuff coming and all the, the news and about Horizon and God of War and all that, then you're like, oh, OK, maybe they're going to start bringing everything over. And then I played Ratchet and then I was like, I feel like they maybe could do this. And then the more I played it, the more I was like, no, they probably couldn't. So that happened over like four or five weeks. So who could really blame anyone for for not following that that line of, of reasoning, I guess. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, and to be fair, when you say they, you mean Sony, Mark Cerny, uh, like saying, this is, you know, we believe in generations. We're building this to be able to run games that could never run on anything before. And then all of a sudden, most of their exclusives coming out, the most, of the, shall we say, most of their biggest ones coming out in the next two years, all of a sudden also going to run on PS4, which is. It's not, it's very, I mean, it's very old hardware. So who's to say, right, that they couldn't find some way to run something else. That was the only thing you were saying. You were...
1: Yeah. And and, I, and, and to, to the point of like saying also, listen, like I have a lot of experience in this industry. I have a lot of experience covering PlayStation. Sony looked at my face, Mark looked at my face in 2013 and promised Resogun could never run on a PS3 or a Vita that they needed the PS4 to run this thing. And then a year later, they brought it to PS3 and Vita. So all I'm saying is, you know, they, they'll they'll say whatever they need to say. They're, I'm mm-hmm. not saying they're liars, but they'll say whatever they need to say. And sometimes these plans change, too. I'm the one who told the Internet that Horizon 2 was coming to PS4, and I'm the one who told everyone that it was a PS4 game first. Right.
0: So it's stupid to be mad about that.
1: <laughs> I agree. I agree. Horizon is
0: no surprise to me that that's on PS4.
1: Right. It runs on Decima. They started building it immediately in earnest after the first one came out. It was it was brought to PS5 later. But when you look at games like um, Ratchet and you're like, well... It's not quite as extraordinary as you're saying it is. I mean, it, it, like you could definitely slow this thing down to 30 frames and remove some of the bells and whistles and the loading and f- figure it out. But I think a lot of the conversation started too because of that weird Demon Souls uh, <laughs> PS4 <laughs> yeah. listing in the PSN that someone scraped, I and mean, who knows who knows what the hell that's all about. But yeah, so it's it's just an ongoing conversation, and I'm just I'm always skeptical of Sony because they they do seem to be full of of shit more often than not lately about a lot of the things they say. Yeah, and um. It's it's good to be skeptical. Like if, if they surprise me, then that's great. But you know what? I've been. I, I'm sorry to ramble on. But no, please. I, I a couple of days ago, I I was started playing Scarlet Nexus, the Bandai Namco mm-hmm. game, and I I downloaded the PS5 version, and I'm playing it, and it's really fun. It's actually quite cute, and it's it's like a JRP, action RPG rather with like a visual novel and stuff. But it doesn't run well. It doesn't do anything to the PS5. Where I'm, it takes like several seconds for the game to save, mm. and you start wondering like, what is going on here? Does anyone seem to it, like you Sony can't even get their early partners to seem to use this machine in a way I mean this game looks like it could run on frankly on a, on PS3 like like when you look at the games like the last of us so I'm always wondering um, like where everyone's heads at with the hardware thing because I always seem so bullish that I want them to make new things
0: Well, and I was, you know, and I'm glad that, I mean, you say rambling, but I think that was actually the perfect intro for having you on, because one reason that I enjoy listening to Sacred Symbols from time to time is that it doesn't even really feel like a... I think when someone hears PlayStation podcast or Xbox podcast, it's time to just get out the pom-poms and be a cheerleader for two hours. And frankly, that's not just stupid, that's boring. That is a boring podcast to listen to. I would assume... And you tell me, if I'm wrong, that some of the people that give you the most guff online are actually the bigger PlayStation fanboys, because I find fanboys, they'll like you if they like PlayStation a little, but if they like PlayStation like it's a religion, they probably hate you because you're so, no one's more critical about PlayStation than the guy hosting one of the biggest PlayStation podcasts, as it turns out, right? It feels just like a good gaming podcast. Yeah, thank you. I feel like we owe some sort of candor and honesty to the audience.
1: Actually, that's all we really owe to them. And because we work completely outside of PR, mm-hmm. we've decided we decided in 2018 to, or actually it was after Days Gone. So I guess late early 2019, we decided we were never going to work with gaming PR and Sacred Symbols again and, and untether ourselves from that whole game of embargoes and NDAs and all that. Mm-hmm. And our show has only grown um, substantially since that point. And so I, I look at the particular aspects of talking about PlayStation as well, w- let's not, we can celebrate it, but I'm a corporate analyst and I'm a player of games and I'm a subject matter expert. So let's try to put all these things together. Let's have fun, but let's also keep everything above board because not everything they do is good. I mean, in fact, I think a lot of the things they do are silly, <laughs> um, to say the least. And I'm really, I'm a huge PlayStation fan. I mean, every, anyone would know that I, my PlayStation bona fides, I think I'd put up against anybody's, I, you know, I, I play pretty much exclusively on the consoles. I have 121 place or platinum trophies and like level 500 and something on play. So I play the games. I get into them and all of that. But let's let's try to be honest. And that's why when we love a game, I feel like it shines like our, mm, we had a
0: really. It interesting matters journey that with Rick- said it. <laughs>
1: Right. I, I feel so, I feel that way. Like when we had a journey with Returnal where we were kind of skeptical and then over the weeks we really got into it and really delved deep into it. And and it's fun to kind of take that journey with our audience too. And we all started at the same time because we, we've eschewed that access to publishers and PR or whatever. Although a lot of them wouldn't want to work with us anyway, anymore. And instead just kind of, I don't know, it's, we want to be like the guy on the couch next to you. A lot of people say that, but we really do want to mm. be like that. Like the, the person that you don't have around you to to talk to you about things. So hopefully that comes through.
0: Well, yeah, and I think there's a similar thing going on, or at least with with Broken Silicon, for example, and a couple other rising tech analyst kind of channels like mine right now, where at least from my perspective, I decided from the beginning that I wasn't ever going to, look, if AMD, right, or Intel or NVIDIA want to send me a graphics card to look at or some early software to play with, I will let them, for sure. (laughs) I'm not going to stop them. And I'll probably use it if they send it to me. I probably will. Um, But I'm never going to at all hold back any opinions on what I think of the hardware. And I'm going to say exactly what I think. And So it's funny how... I've never been sent anything though because from the beginning I was taken as being very critical and it like goes through these periods of like oh now he's an Nvidia fanboy now he's an AMD fanboy now he's an Intel fanboy it's just like no this month I think AMD's being stupid it's not that I just yeah. switch sides or something ridiculous
1: Exactly it's it's exactly right and it's we we deal with that I mean when I was back at IGN we used to deal with that too with the idea of endemic and non-endemic advertising and meaning like within the industry and outside the industry. And we try to basically I think the closest we've ever gotten to taking, taking quote unquote industry money is we had like a Hulu advertisement on sacred symbols, like six months ago for Modoc mm-hmm. or something like that. Like the, it's some random show. So like, we don't, I don't want to get involved in that at all. I've been in situations that are kind of funny and certainly IGN paid my salary where we were getting paid by publishers to do things. And I don't want to, I didn't want to really be in that space. Um, And I feel like like to the, to the idea of, of being a fanboy, I always take it as a compliment when PlayStation fanboys and quotes are mad at me because <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I said earlier, I don't mean to be, you know, too, I don't mean to have too much bravado about it or whatever, but like, yeah, the big PlayStation fanboys love PlayStation yet I have played mm-hmm. 20 times more PlayStation than them. You know, it's like, it's like, so I, in, in any way it does, I don't really take it very seriously. I just continue to speak from the heart and you know, your channel is rising too, because I feel like people look for people like you and people like me and others too that are outside of the cool kids club in some way, because it feels, even if no one's being bought and sold, and I don't really think people are, mm. it's, it's uh, or at least in a major way, then at least it, it still comes off as, as a little more authentic. You're not worried about those relationships. It doesn't play in the back of your mind and all of that. And I think it's more useful to the audience.
0: Well, and I think like an analogous thing to like, the tech channels or the the video gaming channels on YouTube that are just like, Ubisoft sent me this game. Now I'm going to do a review and say it's awesome. Now they sent me this game. I'm going to do a review and say it's awesome. Like, maybe you're not part of that cool kids club that's getting that advertiser money, but at the same time, that club's become so big. How many people do we need saying the same things about games or from my perspective, what I cover, like a motherboard? How many people do we right. need all saying this gigabyte motherboard's good? Like, like you know... I, I mean, I, there's just, like, if the club get, if the cool kid club is really big, is it the cool kid club anymore is what it's I a great would point. say.
1: It's a great point. Cause I see, it's so funny you say that. Cause I see that over and over again, specifically on Twitch when you see, yeah, cause I don't, I don't, I'm not on Twitch very often, but when I, when you see like a big person, like there's like an argument going on online or there's some, someone gets dr- drawn to the attention to themselves. And then I go to their Twitch channel and they're getting 50 concurrence or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But it's like, why I feel like it's the same thing that infects games journalism where I think game marketing and PR has hired itself over and over again so that they look at the saturation point of games media and reach as making sure that those people are happy and that's the extent of it. Mm. But it doesn't really have very much power anymore. And we see that over and over again in the game space with games that are character assassinated or whatever the case might be that end up selling so much better than anyone had ever anticipated simply because people from outside that ecosystem are telling them that it's good. So. Yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's so poignant what you just said. Like if everyone's at the cool kids club, uh, you know, at the, t- at the table, then it really is meaningless. It, it's like, it's like if
0: if your high school football team has 250 people on it, and there's 200. <laughs> our high school team got to like a hundred people for some reason, by the way. Yeah, it's like, I don't know how that even happened. And it's like, so like, well, your
1: backup kicker wears a letterman jacket too. Like how is he any different than the, <laughs> yeah. you know, the starting tackle or whatever? So it, I'm not, no
0: offense to kickers, but so that, I I think you put it very poignantly. No, but I remember that it was like at a certain point at my high school, I swear, like a fifth of the men, it was a big high school to be fair, but I, be, I think about a fifth of the men were in the football team and I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm faster than you, by the way, like you over there, I'm pretty sure I run faster than you, so I don't
1: even know that it matters anymore. Yeah. It's all about the culture. I have my letter from so I because I played hockey, but, uh, yeah, but it's, uh, yeah, it's it's it is funny to think about. I always think about the football players. They were very nice in high school, but they when we go to gym class, they used to just go watch film, like go watch
0: film. And we'd have to like go square dance and do like fucking whatever it is that they made <laughs> us do that week. <laughs> gym, the fact that you just like if you like if you have kids and you because like, I don't. But if I do it, I tell them like, yeah, they just made us square dance and there was always like this electronic boogaloo unit for yeah, so I don't, know. I, don't I don't know why they made us take square dancing i don't know gym. so and,
1: and everyone dreaded it no one knew quite when it was coming and you tried to kind of like figure it out from last year or like like it's it's november it's coming at some point you're going to walk in a gym class third period on tuesday and they're going to make you and they're going to have the little record player out why is it always the record player too it's always, like at least in my school it's always like this ancient audio <laughs> setup it's ridiculous Anyway, I don't even know how we got on this conversation.
0: Well, yeah, and when are they gonna make you? I don't know if they ever made you do that game where like you sit on this like four wheel square platform, and then just someone pushes you around, and you like throw balls at each other, and like, oh yeah, it's like a, yes. it's like um, it's a miracle ten people didn't break their bones in that because we were insane people like riding on it's that. Like, <laughs> how how old are you? If you
1: don't mind me asking. Uh, I'm 29. Okay. So yeah, you're, well, I'm 36. So we we come from a, a similar generation where I was like, I was telling someone like my nephews, I think who were in their like early teens, I was like in my high school, they used to let us shoot bow and arrows Yeah, in, in yeah. Gym, and people used to <laughs> shoot them into the ceiling and then they would stay there for like years um, in, like the, in the auditorium or whatever. I was like, I don't think they let them let people do that anymore. Times have changed.
0: Oh, well. I had like three other things I was going to bring up, but it's entirely off subject by now. I think there could be a whole gym class podcast at this oh, point. Oh, I love it. I, I love talking about the the past. It's my favorite. But anyways, speaking of the past, Colin tell people yeah. who you are <laughs> what did you study before you got into games journalism like what did you want to do in high school what did you study professionally and professionally and and you know what got you into games journalism and podcasting like tell us as much of your story as you want to I, like let's people let people know
1: sure yeah no I appreciate it so um yeah I'm Colin Moriarty and I I was born in 1984 i born and raised on Long Island New York and um started playing games at a very young age my brother is Dagen who I do podcasts with is uh, 11 years older than me and he's the oldest in my family. I'm the youngest. We have two sisters in between. And I was just obsessed with games and nerd culture from the very beginning. And I I happened to have been very lucky because my brother was a, what we often call on our podcast, like a proto nerd. He was going to comic conventions at like the Holiday Inn in like 1988 (laughs) at Roosevelt Field, like buying random comics from people and and buying, you know, anime on cassette tape. You know, or on, on VHS tape mm. in Chinatown and we with no dub or sub, so, we had no idea what we were even watching. I remember when <laughs> I was a kid, I was like I have no, we had no idea what we were even watching, you know, at the time. And it was just a really cool and unique thing and I always tell about talk about getting into role-playing games specifically because I used to sneak into my brother's room after my parents went to bed and I'd watch him play, Mm -hmm. you know, Final Fantasy four, two at the time or whatever the case might be. So I came up with that, but I have this parallel love of politics and history. And, um, I went to Northeastern university for American history and graduated in 2007. And then I was actually, I had actually gotten into grad school Mm. and was going to go on my, um, I was going to be a professor um, I got an American history, uh, American history program at Northeastern. I was going to be a TA that fall and um, IGN, which I was freelancing mm. for and had interned for a couple of times for when I was in college over summers and then freelancing that entire time. They had a job opening. Um, a guy named Jason Allen, who used to work there, went to Capcom. So they had an opening and they offered me the job. And uh, I immediately said, yes, uh, I left Boston, left grad school and didn't even start grad school. And then that's how I found my way in. So I was an editor at IGN from, I was a freelancer for for IGN from 2002 to 2007. They found me because I was a game facts writer in high school, I used to write Mm -hmm. FAQs. And then um, from 2007 to 2014, I was associate editor, editor, and then senior editor of IGN. And then uh, 2014, we left, we found Kind of Funny. And then in 2017, I left Kind of Funny and found my current company, which is last stand. So that's kind of the. Hmm. Well, it's not very consolidated. Actually, it was quite thorough.
0: But yeah. So it really point. was just almost. I don't know if by chance, right? You were already freelancing, probably spending a significant amount of like when you weren't doing what you were you were normally doing in terms of like moving forward with TA work. Like all you were doing was probably working on like freelancing for games websites, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I play. Um, in college,
1: I freelanced full-time for IGN. Basically I was a strategy guides writer and then later wrote reviews and all this other stuff. I did a lot of database work. So I was making quite a bit of money actually, but my whole life was invested in that. And I also worked the landscaping and snow removal when I was at Northeastern. Mm -hmm. And then I also took classes. So, um, it was a lot, but, and it, 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 it's funny because when I was 19, they actually did offer me a job uh, to be the associate editor of IGN GameCube at the time. Oh, um, this was, this was off of my first internship in 2004 when I was about to go to get back to college. And I decided to just go back to college and finish. And I think I made the right choice. Um, but at that moment I kind of accepted, I'm like, I don't think it's going to happen for me again. Like everyone kind of gets their chance. And so I was really happy to just be like, I'm a freelancer. I love video games. I really love American history. I intern at the the Massachusetts historical society. I do this, that, and the other thing. And then out of nowhere, like a meteor just fell into my lap. Like where, and It was through years of hard work. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's as far as I know, the only job IGN's ever had in the editorial staff where they never even went public with it, which is a great honor for me. And it came, I think, at a time when I was least expecting it. I I think sometimes those things just happen. I was just uh, I I was very content with my life at that time. In fact, I was living like at my friend Pablo's apartment in Boston. He had like Mm. a staircase that went upstairs. I was paying one hundred fifty dollars to literally have a cot underneath the staircase, (laughs) almost like Harry (laughs) Potter style. And I would just like, I was just smoking weed all the time. And I mean, it's not, nothing's really changed there, I guess, but like just, you know, and, and reading and playing games and hanging out with my, my friends and it was a great time. And then it just, it just happened. So it was really awesome. And looking back on it, I just can't believe that it happened. But once they, once they opened the door for me, I
0: kicked it down, you know, ninja style. Yeah. Which you are a ninja, you know? So thank you. I I try. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it is, it's funny too, because like when I, I went to college for mechanical engineering And when I where did you go? uh, Michigan Tech, so in the UP above Wisconsin. uh, Walking to class, actually, I actually have. You probably find this interesting. uh, I have a 1970s legit era Soviet Union officer jacket. Like that's awesome. Like it's legit, like it says "Made in Moscow" on the buttons. Um, and it was like my oh my, God. my mom wanted to get me a coat for Christmas when I was in college. All of my electives were history classes too, by the way, and politics classes. Like that's all Excellent. I studied outside of mechanical engineering, and I and she's like, "What? You should get a new coat. What do you want?" And I'm like, "Well, can you get me a Soviet <laughs> Union jacket?" <laughs> and so I was this dork walking. To class and that. I actually do remember I had one friend who said I... He just randomly told me once, hey, I fucking hate your jacket. And he's like, why? Because that's what the people wore who (laughs) kept my grandpa in a prison during World (laughs) War II. (laughs) Did it have like a hammer and sickle on it? Yes, it had the hammer and sickles on the buttons. No, it was (laughs) very, very very thick. Although... I'm jealous. I would love something like that. That's awesome. Yeah, so I mean... But, you know, I got offered a job at General Motors. I actually got into, I've said this multiple times before, um, I got into mechanical engineering to design guns, found that the places where you go to design guns are typically not in the cities I wanted to live in. (laughs) And so then I got offered a job at General Motors. And then by accident, I was offered a job back in Illinois, which let me work remote. And then working remote is what got me into having even the ability, right, to start a YouTube channel and all of that. So there's like an entirely different branching path I could go. I could have been like some rifle designer in Florida, or I could have been some guy designing cars in Detroit. It's, it's kind of crazy to think, you know, how many different paths your life could have gone. It's it's absolutely amazing, dude. It's like, there's all these. And
1: I really feel like if you, if people think back in their life, like, it's like, wow, you probably have like a couple dozen true inflection points where it's like, wow, this could have been truly one way or the other for you. And Those over and over again it's it creates all these fascinating permutations to
0: think about where you could have been I love that kind of stuff yeah so bringing it back to IGN I mean I mean you've kind of been out of the more mainstream games journalist track for a bit now it seems but yeah definitely from your perspective from what you can tell like Mm. what is the difference between covering games in say 2005 and covering games you know I mean, what now? Not 15, 16 years later in 2021. Sure. Yeah. A lot's changed. I mean, a lot
1: has changed. I think in some way coverage has matured. Um, if you go back and read IGN, we used to have like IGN babes, like actually a pretty unimaginable things, <laughs> not nothing, nothing bad. I mean, I, I don't think it's anything bad, Right, but it's, it's, it's just weird. It's like, wow, we had a we used to send like a, a photographer to E3 and just to take pictures of hot booth babes and stuff. And that was like some of our biggest content at E3. So I feel like in some way it's cool that we've gotten rid of that and we've gone towards them. Although there's a place for that. Sure. But we've gone to, uh, or we had gone to a more, um,
0: respected byline driven sort of journalism. I mean, one of the important, I'm w- wouldn't you say though, then, right? Like as, and I, I remember seeing that type of stuff and being like, all right, I mean, isn't it hard to take like this deep dive on Naughty Dog's history seriously? If right, right. next to it is just, here's these women in bikinis. Yeah, this was the, this was the, I mean,
1: it, it's funny you say that, that those were the exact examples. I mean, not so much the history of Naughty Dog because it was before that, but yeah, it's hard. It It, it was a, total dissonance between the content also about who is welcome necessarily. It's not to say that a woman would Mm -hmm. see that and be like aghast. It's just to say that like, when you think about Maxim uh, back, I don't even know if Maxim exists anymore, but like Mm -hmm. when you'd see Maxim 20 years ago, I I doubt a woman would really be picking that magazine up because it's not really drawn to them. So they're never going to know if there's actually something interesting Mm -hmm. in there for them. And so I, I like that we did that. It was a more welcoming thing and whatever. And I don't think it was intended to be anything other than just an evolution, but at the same time, um, games journalism is, has become homogenized. There's no heterodox thought in games journalism or games coverage or games media. You can kind of predict when something happens exactly what everyone is going to say. And I think that that's a shame because they're wasting, and that's what I was saying earlier about byline driven journalism, they're wasting these great opportunities mm-hmm. to reach people. Not everyone has as you or me where we can just go and flick on a camera and people are going to listen to us or a, an audio, you know a, a, you know a microphone. But when you, you, I think about it, I'm like, who the fuck are these guys writing at Kotaku for all these years who have no audience? It's like if I wrote uh, yeah. a Kotaku, I would be huge writing a Kotaku. I mean, like I, I couldn't imagine not being the biggest author of Kotaku. That would be like a slam dunk. And meanwhile, because you're being given this thing on a, that someone else made and then all you have to do is use it. Yeah. And, uh, so so to me, I feel like that's disappointing. And it's what we had mentioned earlier about kind of this homogenous hiring of yourself as opposed to hiring other kinds of people. And so it's just a repetitive echo chamber, which is exactly why places like yours and mine and others resonate. Even if we agree or disagree on certain issues with those prevailing wisdom or that prevailing wisdom in, in mainstream games media, I still feel like they're they're clearly hemorrhaging. It's a game of musical chairs that is quickly eroding mm. the ability to sit in anything safely. And that's not because gaming is getting sh- smaller. No, it's because it's because their coverage sucks. And it needs to be said, their coverage sucks with access and friendships and marketing there are 200 people that work at IGN. I, I at last day of media we have one full-time employee other than me and a bunch of hosts mm-hmm. that do things for us. How come my podcast does better than Podcast Beyond? That's crazy. Yeah. Because if my if I had the reach of IGN, my pod, there would be no chance <laughs> that I knew. and so that to me really is is so discouraging. It's not about talent, it's not about any of that anymore. It's just about safety.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, and Well, I I just thought of something, though, like how much of this homogenization of opinion and kind of just filtering only the people that are like you into a job is, I don't know, like not unique to journalism and not, and just somewhat inevitably happening to everything. So like I said, I wanted to get into designing guns. It's not because right. I'm some like ultra conservative, quite the opposite. And and one of the things I figured out is some of these companies, not all of them, some gun companies are very international. They don't, they don't care who's shooting who, but like some of these companies, like you're basically expected to be on the right and right. you know live in the country to work on, because they assume that's what you want. It's like, no, I want to live kind of downtown And then go make assault rifles. That's what I wanted to do, but that doesn't exist for me. And I was never probably going to be allowed into those companies like that, you know, which I'm, I'm a a weird person, but it filters out other opinions that could have been there and outside ideas. Yeah, I totally agree. And that's, and that does suck. I mean,
1: we don't have at our company, we don't have a political litmus test. So my co-host, Chris Raygun, who, you know, on, Sacred Symbols is quite far to the left, like a Bernie left wing person. I'm consider myself a moderate, <laughs> moderate conservative person, but it doesn't really matter when that stuff bleeds into our content. We make sure that we try to provide as much insight from multiple perspectives as possible so people can make their own decision because people ask now and I've gotten I've gotten shit on so much for bringing this up from people at Eurogamer and IGN and all the rest where I was just like, don't you aren't you curious about if you. Wrote an article about a social issue like Far Cry Five or some some stupid trite issue. Just from the other perspective, wouldn't it be interesting if that popped up on everyone's newsfeed? Yeah, that read your site like, and wouldn't that be interesting if you could have a countervailing op-ed and then maybe a conversation about it? And it doesn't have to be so dire and so serious and so traumatic and so victimizing and whatever the case might be out there. it's just to me, I'm troubled by that, and so your experience is very similar to. The experience I felt as well. I was always an outsider where I was, but Mm. I didn't want to be. No,
0: no, I'm not trying to be.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to be myself. If that's so weird, then so be it. But also pay attention to the fact that that difference is the reason why I stood out while many of you did not. And why wouldn't you try to embrace that? See, see if I were shrewd at IGN, I've, i I said this on another podcast recently, I fantasize about being the EIC of IGN now mm-hmm. sometimes because I'd be like, what would I do? And I would just create this, this Voltron of different ideas. I'd probably fire half the staff and bring in a bunch of different people. And I guarantee you traffic would go up. It's like not even a question. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. I'm sorry. I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling. But it is frustrating for me because I worked at these places and I care about them. And I'm very grateful for IGN specifically. But it is a shame to
0: see what's happened to these places, too. All right. Well, let me pivot into this then. Yoda King writes in and he asks, hello, as a games journalist, how do you feel about the stigma that games journalists are bad at video games? Do you think that's a stigma to criticize the quality of games reviews or is there something more? Hmm. It's a good question, Yoda King.
1: I think that I've known a lot of very talented people that play games that write about games. I've also known people that are just not very good at games, but know a lot about them and enjoy them. I think the peculiar thing is when people act like it doesn't necessarily matter. And and why I say that sure. is I, this all goes back to the the Cuphead thing with Dean Takahashi or whatever at Games Beat years ago when he couldn't, you know, the infamous video of him not being able to get past the Cuphead intro. And it's like, why would you? It's not that this happened to you. It's not
0: that this couldn't happen. Ooh, to I've someone. got another example too, by the way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, but 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 my question is like, why would you, why would you publish this? That that was my biggest question. Was it, it's not that I've had I've had gameplay disasters like trying games where I'm like, we probably shouldn't. This doesn't show you anything. A good example is when I used to go to Tokyo Game Show and we get off-screen footage. I couldn't read often the screens in 3d games to invert the controls, which I need to be able to do to play personally. So we'd have this awful footage of me, like running around, looking at the ceiling and devil may cry or something. And we'd be like, we shouldn't publish this. This is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened, but it, it that, so that's the confusing thing to almost be like, why don't, why don't you feel like it matters? Cause it makes you look bad when you act like it doesn't matter that you don't know how to play a 2d platformer. It's just strange to me. So I don't think it's a it's, it doesn't come out of nowhere, but I also don't know that it really
0: matters very much. I often say on art, my show, as you probably know, uh, my skills are atrophying. Yeah, mine are a little too. The more I work, yeah. the less good at games. I was so good at video games in college, <laughs> like just ridiculously good, like just racking up kill streaks and like massive online servers and stuff. But like, I, I've definitely noticed I'm not as good anymore. Dude, it took me. It took me sixty
1: hours to be returnal. I mean, other people were beating it in like a weekend. It took me literally sixty hours, like of consistent and concerted effort. And I agree with you. When I was young, I was great. So I think these things happen. I, I don't think we have to look at it just through that lens. I, I'm more curious about what people know about games. That's the thing I'm like way more concerned about. Like you, you read a lot of writing where you're like, you you don't even know anything about this, or you have no idea why this is significant because of things that have happened in the past. I wish there were more studied
0: games journalists as opposed to more talented. At games, games journalists. Yeah. I take the former. Actually, I do want to bring this up because this will give you an idea of what I mean. Like, I platinumed Killzone 2. and oh, that's, a, to that's a hard one. Platinum, the last boss in that game is hard on easy, actually. But that was hard. And then you also have to beat the—you see, yeah, you have to beat this crazy hard difficulty mode. You have to also beat the campaign without dying once. And then you also have to get a trophy that requires you, I believe, to be in the top 1% of players that week. Meaning you have to be so good that you're getting more scores per minute for an entire week than anyone else. And somehow I found the time to do that. Like, I don't even know like what was wrong with me back then. It's intense. Like, I actually kind of stopped trying to get achievements after that. I was like, <laughs> I'm, I've proved I can do this. Dude, they were, I gotta say, because I've been into trophies since they came
1: to PlayStation in 2008. And they used to be so much harder, Oh, like yeah. back in the day, like just absolutely, absolutely. When you look at Resistance 2, for instance, which was uh 10,000. I got that one observer. too. That's what th- <laughs> I tried to do it just too late. Like I was just like, I can't grind this out so slowly.
0: You need an elephant one bite at a time before school. I would play for 10 minutes. One team deathmatch or two before I went to school every day for over a year. (laughs) That's what my plan was. That's exactly the way I I was a psychopath. Like, why did I do that? Like, but I I cared so much. (laughs) Uh, Like, I actually mapped out how I would solve this problem. But um, yeah, I mean, going back to journalists, I think the thing about games journalists being good at games is, at first, I get the idea or or the knee-jerk reaction to go, why does it matter? Not everyone's good at games. This is my opinion. My opinion matters just as much as someone that's good at games. But I also think what you were touching on is like, if it doesn't matter how good you are at the game, what could matter more? Like That'd be like someone not knowing how to play football that's just going to start writing about football. as like That right, doesn't exactly. make any sense. And so I'm starting to lean more towards the, no, not everyone has to be able to do every job. I expect you to be good at games if you're going to play this game. Like, at least at average level, I mean, come on. Yeah, like some sort of
1: competency is, I think, important, because it, it reminds me, like, I don't drive. I have a real fear of driving cars. I don't drive them. And I could know everything about, go- I don't know anything about cars, but I could, like, study and know, like, this is how the engine works and was put together, and this is the, mo- the mo- this specific model and just know every intricacy. But when you put me in the driver's seat, I'm going to be like, I don't know how to drive this thing. So it, it doesn't really matter. Like, at the end of the day, Anything I know doesn't really matter because I cannot interface with the car the way the car is meant to be interfaced with. That is relevant. And unless your thesis is that the game is really hard, and I've written a review or two from that perspective on IGN, where I was like, this game is fucking ridiculous how hard it is. And that is the thesis. Yeah. Unless that is your thesis, you really need to be able to be better at these things. And j- stop giving people low-hanging fruit. That's the, the curious thing. It's like, it goes back to what I was saying about that Cuphead video. It's not that that happened. It's why you publish
0: it. Yeah. You really have to ask yourself that. So, Well, and it's kind of then dovetails into something that a lot of my listeners are starting to notice more and more and more. And that's the criticism that a lot of tech, you know, people who benchmark graphics cards and processors, all of that, some of them are more turning into influencers than they are actually reviewing the hardware. And there's, I won't name the channel because I just, I'm so over people arguing, but like There is one channel where he, like, tried to prove, like, rendering times, you know, between, like, an AMD and an NVIDIA graphics card, and it turned out he didn't even install the right driver, and that's why he got the same results on everything. (laughs) Like, he he wasn't even – that's what it was. He wasn't even using the GPU. He was using the processor. He didn't even tell it to use the right component, and then he's just, like – well, whatever, what does it matter? It's like, you've got 2 million subscribers. Nothing could have mattered more if you're going to put out this video into at least, that, there wasn't a red flag to you that this $1,000 component was performing the same as this $200 one? Like, it, yeah. it, come on. Yeah, it's, it, it, it bends incredulity. And, 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 and by the way, it reminds
1: me, I'm not into the tech world too much, but it reminds me of that video, I think it was from The Verge some years ago. Oh when that God, that's together the, the, the apex computer. of it. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, Because even then I was like, because I watched that and I I felt bad for him. But even some of the stuff I was looking at, I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know anything. And some of this stuff was like, I don't know if this is true. Like the bracelet thing and all that other stuff. I'm like, this doesn't even make any sense. But when he was like wearing that, the anti-static
0: bracelet wrong and stuff. So (laughs) so these things happen and... Dude, he did everything wrong. By the way, let me—he put in the RAM wrong. He put in—he was—he got the specs of what he was building wrong. He booted it up wrong. He tested the game wrong. I'm just like i am just—just so you know, it was top to bottom. Like it was—I um, didn't even watch until a year after it came out, and I was like, oh wow, now I know why everyone still shares this. It took me a while to get through it because I was so like, I, I,
1: like you know, watching people's um, commentary over it that I actually know what they're talking about, and it's a similar thing where uh, I had I, mentioned earlier, just knowing what knowing your history knowing how things work having so when you put a controller in my hand mm. like I know how the game I know I know what to do just give me the controller I, like I don't need it's when I used to do preview events and stuff at IGN it's like can you just and people would be over your fucking shoulder and and I'd be like just go away like I know how to play video games you know I I know you're trying to get notes for your QA team and shit but just go do it in the corner um and w- the biggest question about these things like what you were saying with the the guy with 2 million subscribers on my side and I'm not trying to be mean and I'm not going to say who it is either but there's a guy who ma- who, who does a, an Xbox podcast who hosted Xbox's E3 show. <laughs> yeah. Let me repeat that. A person who does a weekly Xbox podcast was paid by Microsoft to host their E3 conference. Now, you can say that that doesn't matter and he could say whatever he wants, but that's nonsense, of course. And if you want, you know, this is I don't want to pick on this person, but this is a person who is. Like It seems to be more important for them to be cool in the industry and be well-connected in the industry than to have an audience thats that you're being candid and honest with. I don't want Microsoft's money. Mm-hmm. I don't want Sony's money. So when I when I brought this up on another show, someone was like, you would host State of Play. And I'm like, first of all, Sony would never in a million years ask me to host State of Play. Second of all, no, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. I've talked about deals I've turned down a million times. I turned down a $25,000 deal, and I've talked about it at in 2015 for Kind of Funny when um, fear wanting me to go to Maryland to do a five minute video on civilization six. Yeah. You know? And we were like, no, I'm not doing it. And then Greg ended up going cause we needed the money for the company, but I didn't want part, any part of that. So it's just, it's not only that these people exist and, and everything, but it's like, why are they getting opportunity after opportunity to not know anything to have, to show the wrong things are, are important to them, to not really cater to their audience in such a way. It's just very confusing. So with that kid, with the, with the it wasn't that that PC was built wrong. It's that that guy kept his job. Yeah.
0: Because that would, if I were at The Verge, I'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's very similar. If to the you Philip can't Mucin do this, that that's literally your job. Like, why do we have you? Like, not to be
1: mean, but. Well, I, I, like, I think I'm going to do an interview. Do you remember, do you know the name Philip Mewson by chance at all? I don't he think the guy so. That, he was the guy at IGN. It's F-I-L-I-P, Musin. He was the guy at IGN a couple of years ago that was like caught for plagiarizing everyone or whatever. And, oh, uh, I know who you're and, talking
0: about now. Yeah.
1: And it's like. I want to interview him. He actually reached out to me and I think I'm going to do an interview with him this summer. But the major question is, and I want to hear his piece, like, what do you have to say for yourself? But my major question is, is like, isn't there a point where you've crossed the line and you don't belong in this space for some reason? Right. Yeah. And maybe it's like that you got something so catastrophically wrong that you've brought great embarrassment to your brand. Or maybe it's that you got caught doing something really dishonest. But it's just funny how people just float around as if none of these things have ever happened.
0: Well, Very weird. and there is yeah. actually a major um, gaming performance analysis website. I'll, I'll talk to you offline if you want me to tell you, but it's not sure. worth going public with unless I can have someone who will go public with it. But, like, they've done some recent analysis of some AMD and NVIDIA software. I have multiple major tech tubers that I trust going, dude, something's wrong here. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I talked to someone who worked there. They're literally paid by this one company to make this one company look better, you know. And I... And it's starting to become such a glaringly obvious thing. And yet they have all this reach. You'd, I mean, I don't know what their job is if they're doing that. But let me, let me uh, before I get myself in trouble, let me move on to this reader mail here. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Raidmaker and Cade Bodell write in, and I bind them. He says, hi, Tom and Colin. Considering the recent reports by Hardware Unboxed and Linus Tech Tips regarding tech manufacturers trying to influence their reviews, specifically LG and NVIDIA, in the case of Hardware Unboxed, is this bowing to the pressure of big companies as prevalent in the tech industry as it seems? Somewhat related, have you ever experienced pressure to report on or review a game that has lots of hype in a positive light to prevent a backlash or disappointment from readers? So so first of all, I guess let me ask, are you aware of what happened with like LG and NVIDIA recently with multiple big tech sites? No, I I have no, I don't know about this. So Hardware Unbox is pretty big. They're they're friends of the channel. Um, Tim and Steve over there, I really get along with quite well. They, uh, Nvidia did not like their coverage of a software called DLSS. It's something that is supposed to make image quality not get worse and you boost frame rates. When it first came out a few years ago, I mean, it would like removed leaves from trees in some games. It, it there was not just a downgrade in quality; it was like bad, and and it was actually arguably a lot of websites found better to just turn down the resolution than to use their frame boosting technology because it would look better and give you more frames per second. So, Nvidia didn't take kindly to that. And they basically tried to blacklist hardware unboxed from ever receiving graphics cards for review, any of that. But then they took it a step further. Nvidia works with motherboard manufacturers and graphics card manufacturers that make both Nvidia and AMD products. And they said, if any of you send hardware unboxed something, you're not getting. We're going to like not. We're going to make things hard for you in the supply chain. And. They, wow. And they've done this to multiple companies, by the way. Linus Tech Tips, who you've probably heard of because they're just so insanely huge. Um, they're like 15 million subscribers now. Like, he called NVIDIA and said, if you do this to them, we won't cover your products. And so that's flipping the script. Yep. A it, bit. Like, it, it took the power away from them. LG tried to make Hardware unbox do that with a monitor review as well. I guess the CEO put out a statement apologizing. <laughs> like, so some of these big channels are starting to realize they have power that they don't yes. need to let these companies push them around. But just so you know, that's what's... I think it's much more prevalent, actually, most likely in the tech review space than it is in the gaming review space. But but this is where I throw it back to you. Have, have you ever seen some of this pressure before? And have you ever experienced it with relating to reviewing games or any of these companies?
1: No, I can honestly say that when I was a critic, I never experienced that pressure, mostly because that pressure happens. It's just that there are many layers... Um, where that reverberation doesn't really reach you. Um, At IGN, we have what was called a Chinese wall. That's a a business term, obviously. I'm sure a lot of people know, where we had a complete separation between editorial and basically every other part of the site. We sat in a totally separate wing of the building. And we had, I know people don't believe it, but we would never know when there was like a review um that was going to be accompanied by let's say like an ad for that game I know that when I reviewed Mass Effect 3 everyone's like oh they got bought up by EA and I'm like I didn't know that that was gonna happen I just wrote the review I had mm-hmm. I got the product I wrote the review so um so I can I can honestly say that that's I've never felt that kind of pressure but it's very important what you said earlier about um well it's it, I guess what we were saying about flipping the script yeah I feel like some people feel like they need access in order to get an audience. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's true. Maybe like you do need to attract people by saying like, I got Scarlet Nexus early. So I'm at the review embargo and everyone's interested now, but I still feel like it's like fruit off the forbidden tree for this very reason. Because when, uh, when you get games from people and you get games from publishers Mm -hmm. and sign NDAs and all of that, then you are playing some sort of game with them to get some sort of access. Yeah. You might hate a game, but they're going to, I mean, I could tell you some things that have happened to me behind the scenes. When I, uh, reviewed infamous, um, infamous twos DLC festival of blood. Yeah. Sucker punch and Sony claim that I couldn't have possibly beaten the game in 90
0: minutes. Which is I like would say that. that's a quick play time, but I remember beating it in one night. So it's yeah. And well, what was ironic is that what we sent them back was a screenshot
1: of two trophies. The first trophy you get in the game time stamped, and then the <laughs> trophy you get for beating it exactly 90 minutes after timestamped. And like little things like that where you push back. But the biggest thing that happened to me and I did a whole video on it a couple of years ago, uh, Konami, specifically Mercury Steam, the guys that are making the new Metroid game, they fucking hate me. And because <laughs> it was because I reviewed this 3DS Castlevania game they did so that when I went to see them in Germany at Gamescom, they refused to see me at all. Um, they refused to send us builds and all this. So that's about the most pushback we've ever gotten. But from that perspective, we were like, well, just buy Konami's games. And by the way. Konami has, that was during an era of completely waning power. It's actually almost comical to think that they could even done this to IGN and been like, well, you can't get Konami games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I remember we were really worried at the time because Metal Gear Solid Five was yeah. coming out, but even then we wouldn't capitulate. So I actually want to give them, give maybe some of these websites a little more credit than some people give them, because I think it's a little more above board than you might think. But a lot of things happen, I think, where uh, on the YouTube and yes. Twitch side, I feel like people either have to choose to be in the circle in the circle or outside of the circle. Mm-hmm. And I think it's much better to be outside, be your own man or woman and buy your own stuff and then people can really trust you and like you said kind of like oh, I'll give you an example from my world. Sony would have had the most power Sony would have ever had on me recently was when PS5 came out. Mm. But I just went online and bought three myself. I didn't need them at all. I didn't need their early week access or whatever. I don't need them for games. And they're never going to have more power over me than what they did in November of 2020 in the next seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. So if I could resist that, then certainly I can resist over and over again, ever working with them at all. And I think that's what the audience expects. And it allows you to dodge these sorts of shady
0: dealings, right? Well, yeah, and th- um, there's been some times where, like, some of these graphics card manufacturers have kind of reached out to me. Because I actually—I um, don't know how familiar you are with my channel. I actually do a ton of leaking of information years before stuff comes out. So that already puts me on the shit list, basically. But, like, I had, like, once a, hey, can you pull this? And then I was like, well, I'm not under NDA, And, like, then it became clear they might send me a graphics card if I stopped talking about this certain thing. And it was just like, how many times do I need to make the decision, though— Once I decide to do it once, I've made the decision and I just don't, I don't think it's a big deal to get like, like for instance, this right here, you might be interested in seeing this. So this is a $1,200 graphics card. (laughs) It's, it's absurd. I actually don't know that I'm going to give it a good review, by the way, for everyone listening. (laughs) But I mean, imagine like they want good reviews for something that expensive and you know what, I won't have a review on review day, but that means I can just get it a month late, like I have, from someone who helps me out, and then I can take a few a week or so to really sit with it. I'm not rushing the review out the door, and I can say, you know what, after using this for two weeks, did it really change my gaming experience? And I think that when I look at the views for my reviews, they seem to outperform a lot of channels that get graphics cards on review day, certainly not the ones I've already mentioned that are hilariously bigger than me but like some of the ones that are around the same size because like what is the point in seeing the same bar graphs from 10 people that say the same thing it'd be better i'll just i'll be last and it'll be a different take right and i i think that's really a positive thing for you and for your content
1: as well because this kind of coverage works better in the way normal people consume Mm -hmm. video games or consume hardware i mean like i can't imagine that everyone in computing, I know that things are very rare and, and tight right now in the, in the supply chain and expensive. I get that. But I'm just speaking from a general a general point of view. A computer enthusiast has a normal job, like a PC gaming enthusiast. They have a normal job. They have a family. They have other things to attend to. This new graphics card comes out. Maybe they won't even get to even reading about it for a few months. And it's yeah. much more valuable at that point to see like, well, this person bought it afterwards. They sat with it as opposed to things that are all dated like the same timestamp because they all published at the embargo. I'm not saying that that stuff's not valuable, but I agree with you that it's, it's just be- more beneficial for everyone and plays more into what I think is the way people absorb goods anyway, right? Like, I don't think people necessarily need to play
0: this game right away. Sometimes they want to hear what you have to say first. Well, I like that you brought that up. Illyrium writes in, and he says, Hi, Tom and Colin. More and more people are standing against purchasing a game pre-release because of the large number of games reaching their release state unpolished, buggy, and underwhelming. So I have two questions. When will studios end the crunch period that punish developers and QA testers for something that is not really their fault, Two, why isn't the gaming industry naming publishers putting a stop to bad releases and devaluing their own work? Because as things stand, I'm heavily influenced by their culture to wait for that game to reach a 50% off sale and only then reconsider a purchase. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of two things there brought up. Yeah, so, yeah, there are two separate things. The first thing with
1: Crunch is, I don't... (laughs) crunch kind of just happens to fall on the heads of the people that are at the end of the chain because that's at that's the end of the line. That's when the game's coming out. So it would be very unusual for crunch to affect the writers or right. the designers, right? Or the systems level engineers or whatever the case might be. At that point, you're trying to just make the game look better and sharper and qu- squash bugs. So of course that's going to happen to the people that are at the end of the chain. Um, I think that... People, and I, I really made this case on my podcast. I know some people really disagree. Mm-hmm. I know that Insomniac has specifically said, or at least people from Insomniac has said that like with Ratchet and Clank, they didn't work under crunch conditions. I think some people have said that. I know people that have worked it on that game that certainly did crunch on it. So that's certainly not true outside of that. But but of their own volition, right? Don't put a gun right, up exactly. it That's exactly right. I, well, that's the point I was going to bring up. And I think you can agree is, or maybe you can't, but I, I'm, I'm sure you do as a small business owner and an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, my days are not neat eight-hour days. My <laughs> if you when you put me at IGN and and I was getting, you know, my eighty my neat little ADP check every two weeks and they they took out my money for my retirement. I didn't have to worry about anything. I still wasn't working eight hours a week because I cared about the product. I'm not saying you can't not care, but if you want to go punch a clock, I don't think video games are for you. I don't think making the video games is for you. I just don't think it works. But that goes back into the the other thing that he, um this this listener had said, which is they do need to stop devaluing their own work. I think these things go to in tandem with each other. Oh, yeah. There's the rise of the, of the mid-tier again. We have Focus Home Interactive. We have Embracer Group and all these trying to carve out an A space again, and I think that's really awesome. But uh, Sean um, uh, Layden at Sony, when he had left, had kind of said, games are becoming too expensive and they're becoming too long. And mm-hmm. and this is creating some sort of really de- catastrophic delta on the chart where... They're becoming too expensive and too long. They're not becoming too expensive, but not long enough or whatever. You need to make some sort of different concessions to the game. And I think fewer games of a higher quality and instructing video game players that time spent playing a game does not equal quality. I think these two things Mm -hmm. will make game development much lighter. I'd rather spend. um, Well, I'll give you an example. I, I, I platinum Dragon Quest 11 last year. I really like traditional role-playing games. It took me about 120 hours or something. You could have cut that game in half. <laughs> I mean, why is it so long? Why does it have to be so long? And, and if you make that decision, does it affect the player? I don't think so, because when you look at the trophies and you realize only 10% of your player mm. base even beat the game, yeah. right? So you have to take all these different data points and figure out how to make it more sustainable to create games, how to make it more fair. And also, I think, to educate players so that this person is saying they wait. Well, why wouldn't you wait? The only the only publisher that has instructed you explicitly that their games will not fall in value ever is Nintendo. So that's the only company where you're like, yeah. well, you might as well buy it now, because if you wait two years to buy Pokemon, you'll just have played a $60 Pokemon two years later, as opposed to The Last of Us. You're not going to ever find a copy of The Last of Us for 60 bucks no. or 40 bucks or 20 bucks, Right. So I think it's I think all of these things are important and they have to come together to create some sort of new alchemy that gives us the games that we expect at the prices that we expect. But I am also concerned about this mentality that we're going to keep paying less and less for video games because this counter, this is countervailing against the increasing price in games, but it starts, it's incumbent on the publishers to convince us Mm. that those games are worth it. Um, Until they do that, then I would expect uh, plenty of skepticism. And by the way, I mean, what was the most
0: anticipated game of the last year or two? Which was Cyberpunk. I was going to bring it up as, yeah. as, as <laughs> to, like let's just bring that up to give my opinion, right? Because please, That's, please that's the perfect example. I. It's funny how I don't know. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll say it up front. I wasn't hyped for the game. I don't really get hyped for any game until it's out now. It like I'll be honest. The only game that will get me hyped at this point is a new Metal Gear Solid or like the remake. That uh, there's very few games now where I'm truly excited before they come out, probably Grand Theft Auto 6 would as well. Mm. Like there's very, very, I guess Mountain Blade, Mountain Blade Bannerlord did. I was very hyped for that game. But I knew what I, these are all studios that I know what I'm going to get. Like, they've never, ever really screwed up. Like, I know what I'm going to get from them. Like, the Rockstar's track record is absurd. Um, So that's why. Every other game, doesn't matter how big it is, what game they have made in the past, I mean, you can make something like Spyro and Resistance, and then you can also go make... I mean, what was it? What was it called? Fuse? I don't even remember what that game was. Oh yeah,
1: Fuse. Yeah. Yeah. Fuse they made that with
0: EA. It was originally called Overstrike, right? Which you may remember. Right. right. So it's like there's—you never know for sure. Um, and when it came to Cyberpunk, I was like, it looks like a bigger day of sex to me. If it's good, I'll get it. And right before it came out, I was like, oh my god, I get the feeling this is going to be a disaster because. Every piece of gameplay I saw was the same car chase scene, like the same bar scene. I'm like, supposedly this is a huge open world game and every trailer shows the same five faces talking to the character. Like, what's going on? Dude, there were, I mean, there were cat, I haven't played, I'm with
1: you where I'm like, I'm not, I'll play it when I play it. I'm not going to do that or whatever. And I I often buy games at launch just because I do well and I want to support the developers,
0: right? So I'm going to really spend time with your game. I'll pay you now. And I'll play it later. I, I do that. All I'm the time. starting to more so. and more do that as well. As I get older, have more savings, it's less penny pinching. It's like, let, let right. me support them, you know? Right. Exactly. Like if you're in a position, it's just doing onto others and kind
1: of paying it forward. You know, I, I pirated games when I was in high school. I, I used emulators, you know, in the nineties and stuff. And, I had an emulator on my PSP for the NES. Like I, I so
0: I was such well, a good that. kid in high school. By the way, I chastised my friends for illegally downloading music. <laughs> like, yeah, well, now you well, have right. to like, though if you want some I of it. I went to I, the mean, nor-
1: I went to Northeastern where downloading music was invented with Napster. Oh. So it's like these these very vari- these various things were, like. You know, you got. You're an adult. You have money. Let's do it the right way now. Let's let's do. You know, I'm not one of those guys that like you know feigns ignorance. Like, oh, I never. I definitely didn't have a modified PS1. No, definitely <laughs> not. I definitely not. Didn't you see what a blockbuster and rip video games? No. Yeah, my yeah, so, cousin had one of those.
0: He had like a hundred games in a stack.
1: Yeah, we used to just fucking.
0: Like it was nuts,
1: you know, like, and, but that's how we did it. And that was 22 years ago. So now I'm older and I want to provide the money up front. But the only reason I say that is because with Cyberpunk, I agree with you. Something was totally wrong. And the reason that I knew something was wrong with two reasons. Number one, all the reviews were built off of PC builds. You knew something Mm -hmm. was wrong with the PS4 builds. And number two, and then they they didn't have the next gen versions available immediately, which they were going to. They needed another year for that. And then you had to start remembering like, well, we've seen this before. The, the, the previous most hyped game was No Man's Sky. And mm. who was responsible for, for casting that into the ecosystem and allowing everyone to bear witness to that, which was the games media? And then they did the same thing. With cyberpunk. Yeah, you'll you'll recall. I mean, I know I know I know for a fact that that first E3 behind closed doors thing, I guess in 2018, I was told by multiple people like they saw the same like you said, this the same eight minute footage. No one was playing it. It was running off of, you know, it was probably just a PC MP4 or whatever. And it was it's nuts. And so, like, why do we keep we it, it goes back to the earlier question. We do have to hold everyone more to account. Um, that's why I always say, like, don't pre-order games. I think that's the easiest thing we can all do is to just not pre-order games. Even if you and that doesn't mean you don't go on PlayStation Network five days before a game comes out you're excited about and buy it and download it, because sure. I do that. That's not pre-ordering. They can't work. You have to understand they're selling games early. These numbers are so important to them, to Amazon and to GameStop and all their interactions as publishers with all of these entities. You are helping them foist bullshit on everyone when you pre-order. Because mm. they want that number so they can go into a boardroom and say, like, see, two million people already bought Cyberpunk and it's not even out for a
0: year and a half. Well, and and, and, and I want to talk sorry, about what? that, though, because you brought up the the media thing, like, because mm. I look and I'm going to look. I, truly at this point, what I think happened with Cyberpunk was they had a game that really wasn't meant to come out until the end of 2021 at the earliest and they were running out of money. And they needed to get the game out. I I can't find any other explanation for why, because what I've seen about how broken it is, is like they have entire subway systems with real people in it you could talk to that have been walled off because it's not done. Like, I think it's clear this game was going to be bigger and have way more polish, but they needed to get it out on everything to get that money up front to keep working on it. I can't think of any other reason they would have. I mean, they they sent the reviews, they said you can review the game only on PC, but not only that, you can't show footage of the game you're playing. You can only show b-roll we send you while you're talking that's never happened with a game before and what bothers me is not them they're just trying to get away with it because they're a business and that's what businesses do it's that journalists said yes i could you imagine if like they told you that if if they said hey colin you can't show yourself playing this game give it a review no okay zero out of ten instantly there yeah we were we we, i mean at the ign i used to work at, we would have said no
1: we used to say no to review I don't know if you you know this. Like Call of Duty used to be reviewed at hotels. You would send your <laughs> people to hotels. Yeah. They would set you in these rooms and you'd have to play it there. You'd have to capture it there. You'd have to go to all of these timed events. Like it's like at eight o'clock, you're going to play single player. At noon tomorrow, you're going to play multiplayer. This map, blah, blah, blah. That's how it was done. Then eventually people were like, we're not doing this. Like people like yeah. I, 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 IGN was like, we'll just wait and buy the game. We don't really need to do this. In fact, people are going to be most eager for our score. So we, and so these things started to bend and change. And that I'm so glad you brought that up because it's it's the journalists and the outlets that said yes. Because if someone said that to me, I'd be like, there's just no... If someone said that to me, I'd be like, there is something wrong with this game, clearly. There,
0: and I, I agree with you. I, my whole thing was is that they should have just released it on PC. But the, I think they wanted the money from the last gen install base. That's what it really came down to. I think so too. And,
1: and they they really ruined their reputation. I mean, I, I can't imagine... We used to talk about CD Projekt. No one cared about CD Projekt when they made The Witcher and Witcher 2. When Witcher 3 came out in 2015, people were like, this is the Bethesda killer. These guys are like the Bethesda killer. Look at this game. And then later on that year, Fallout 4 came out and it was like fucking garbage compared to The Witcher. And everyone was, you know, so, you know, look at this avowed, beautiful new RPG studio in Poland doing everything right. And they totally screwed up with their next release. And their only option is a No Man's Sky type, Hello Games type redemption arc which I don't think they're going to get because it seemed much more dishonest. I actually, I agree. The no man, Sky thing. Yeah, I blame Sony for that mostly. I
0: actually. Sony hyped it, it up G- as this new big yep. exclusive that's going to be right. revolutionary. You got to buy a PS4 and Hello Games. Can you like, I don't know about you, but if I was in charge of Hello Games and it's like, hey, Sony's kind of like going to make us the most popular game this year. Let's just get out of our own way and let them. I don't know that I would have stopped Sony. I maybe would have said more things in interviews about how there isn't co-op because that seemed to be the big thing. But I, I, you know, it's not like Hello Games was lying so much as just maybe lying by omission a little for their own benefit. Right, right. I I, exactly, I agree.
1: Like that seemed like such a, well, let me back up and say that when Cyberpunk came out, that put the Hello Games situation in much more context where it's like, okay, there are different textures and levels of how fucked up things can get. And this is a level. Can you imagine Sony doing that to any other game? Have you seen the games that run on PlayStation network life of black tiger and those kinds of games? (laughs) They actually went to the, one of their first, not one of their, I'm sorry, one of their biggest uh, partners uh, and was a company, by the way, they worked out stuff, stuff with PS now and Witcher three being on there and all that. And they're like, we're taking your game down Mm -hmm. for six months. And, That's a huge slap in the face and an unprecedented move that I think made Sony actually pretty good because they were also saying, like, we're not going to get the 30% cut of the games we sell. We just don't want to deal with this headache anymore. And so I, I felt that that was a pretty catastrophic sign of where things are in the games industry, because I feel like how many millions of people bought that game sight unseen? Well, we know 13 million because uh, before the game came out because of the hype of IGN, the hype of GameSpot, the hype that they stole your money, basically. I mean, it's like this is why you need to have a a more transparent process. And I'm glad that we were able to contribute to that in some way.
0: Well, so how much of that, though, do you think was the games media thinking they had to be part of the bandwagon? Because I think you see this with Tech coverage all the time, too, is oh, everyone's rooting for AMD this year, so let's play into the AMD hype. Oh, everyone's rooting against Intel, so let's take a giant dump on Intel with this new i9 review. You know, how much of it's that? Like, oh, Cyberpunk's, it's, it's, cause it's like almost like the media made it the hype game, and then they realized at the last minute it wasn't going to get a good review. And then out of nowhere, like IGN, like puts out like a four out of 10 for the PS4 version. I've just, to me, smelled of trying to act like, like they weren't hi- overhyping it beforehand and trying to overcorrect by then giving it a four or a zero on PS4. And it's like, no, you should have you should have warned people before it was out, not after you. Your right. only job is to warn people before they buy it. It's already out. You didn't help anyone. Like how, mu- like how much so- do you think it was the media that did it, though, you know, and thought that and thought they had to do it, thought they had to be part of the hype.
1: That's the that's the difficulty in and we used to think about this at IGN a lot, the difficulty in having such a large staff wherein you would go to the cyberpunk 2077 object on IGN where all the stories live Mm. and you could see a bunch of different opinions, but it doesn't really it's like kind of they're kind of incongruent with each other and you can't really square the circle at that point. It's it's very hard. So I, I agree with you. These things were happening and I'm so glad it's such a great point you brought up about the expectations. And also I think about the expectations of an audience when you, when you insult a game, a good example of this is when I was at IGN, I went and saw the order 1886 multiple times. And, um, I went to Sony Santa Monica once who produced the game to go look at it. And we went behind closed doors and they played it and the game was running like shit. It looked like shit. It was running at like 15 frames a second. It was, well, it looked pretty um, good if it wasn't running at 15. Right. <laughs> We're just standing there and and Galahad or whatever was just standing there with his, coat in the wind it looked pretty good and they're really nice guys over at um, mm-hmm. at that at, at ready at dawn but the game was not ready for prime time in fact it looked like it just was i was like i couldn't believe it and i remember so clearly what i remember clear as day walking out of that um that event and a guy that worked at a, a podcast called playstation nation was like man that looked pretty good didn't it and i wanted to be like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> You're like what are you talking about and then i wrote a preview saying like this game is not going to be good. And people got really mad at me because all of the other previews of that event seeing the same build made it seem like it was fine. And it wasn't, it wasn't fine. And people could still go back and read that preview. It's still on IGN where I didn't cut any corners. I was like, there's something wrong here. And I just remember that conversation with that guy from that podcast. Cause I was like, what, what are you talking about? What are you, what can you possibly even be talking about?
0: It's so weird. A similar thing happened, just so you know, with like the NVIDIA Ampere reveal and launch late last year, which I... I'm using Ampere graphics cards. Like the one I actually use is over there behind me, a 3070. Like, uh, so I don't I obviously don't hate it. I use it, but I mean like they made it out in their early marketing, we're doubling performance year over year and you know, and efficiency. And I like looked at the graphs and I'm like, none of this makes sense. Even their own numbers show they don't double performance. And you had websites just hyping it up and saying this is going to be worth this much. You know, the 3090 is worth $1,500 and it's worth it for 8K gaming. It's just absolutely absurd. 8K. Like, what are you talking about? And it's just like, and, but like so many media outlets just went along with it, like said, yeah, it looks great. Sure. Whatever you want us to say. It's for, it's no wonder no one, I mean, no
1: wonder no one trusts anyone. I don't, because we see that in, in just general, in the news and politics world, it's just like a lot of lies by omission and a lot of, partisanship and a lot of under the table shit and relationships and all these tethers. It's it's all, it's all very messy.
0: Mason Mitchell writes in and he says, Hey fellas, I was wondering if Colin has considered gaming on his work rig. If I remember correctly, his brother built him a machine to work on with a 2070 Super in there. There are some PC exclusives I know Colin would love but I know he's afraid of the maintenance perhaps of PC gaming. I was almost brought up here yeah, Colin, you should play Persona.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, oh, man. Yeah. I have, so I play very rarely do I play PC games. I mean, I'm really into civilization. And so that was like the sure. thing that used to just draw me to PlayStation. But that came to PS4. So that was kind of solved. Actually, my Dustin, my executive producer, built me the computer. My brother wouldn't have any idea. And yeah, I have a GeForce RTX 2070, I think. Yeah, is what I think it is. that's what I remember you saying. Or yeah, I think it's 2070. I don't know. But but I don't really know. I, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's way too powerful for what I do on it. I, I basically just use Premiere and Illustrator and stuff on it. And um, but yeah, PC gaming is just not for me. It's not even so much the upkeep. It's that I'm really intent on being an expert on the platform that I cover. And that requires time. I just can't manufacture more time. So every hour that comes away from me, like every hour that I play video games that's not being played on PS4, that's not on PS5, that's not on VR, is an hour less that I can give insight on those particular products. It's not to say that I don't ever do that. When Halo comes out this fall, I'll probably play it. Um, Mario Golf just came out, I'm totally playing that. But generally speaking, I, I just I stay away from PC gaming, not for, the, for any other reason than I just feel like it's an opportunity cost. That's it. It's the same reason why I stay away from the Xbox. My girlfriend, who lives with me, it plays only on Xbox and Switch. The enemy's living in the house, right? Exactly. She's in the building. The um, the killer's in the house. So, yeah, that's. So, yeah, I'm sorry because I know you have such an audience that loves that kind of stuff. It's just we. I used to make fun of PC gaming. Oh, PC gaming. (laughs) It's really not that complicated. It's just um, I'm. We were talking beforehand. I'm also not a very technical person, so I need consoles are made for people like me, where I'm like, I don't know, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking, you know, so th- just give me the disc, or I'll just go on the P-
0: PlayStation Network, and it'll just work, And, I, and <laughs> except if it's Cyberpunk, and then it won't. And then, <laughs> then it definitely won't work. I mean, so, well, but yeah, and I, I don't know how much you've seen about that, like, I will have on, like, server engineers, and, you know, like, people that help design the Xbox, or know people who worked on the Xbox Series X chip, like, I mean, like, really technical stuff about, you know, like, I'm sure you've heard... I'm sure you've heard Agnosium last year when the consoles were launching, teraflops and all of that stuff. Oh, yeah, the flops. Yeah. (laughs) But so... You know, no matter what platform I use for a main benchmarking station, one thing that I always know will be true is that a long-term sponsor of mine, CDK Offers, will most likely be providing the keys. CDKOffers.com is a keys website with legitimate keys that supplies PlayStation, Xbox, and Windows software keys at a reasonable price for what you're paying for. Nobody wants to overpay for anything, including over $100 for Windows. You don't need to get a legitimate professional key of windows 10 for a reasonable price from cdkoffers.com and make sure you use the offer code broken silicon to get a big discount on windows software and die to get a reasonable discount on everything on the website go to cdkoffers.com today and make sure they know Moore's Law laws dead sent you how, how do you see PC gaming? How did you see it when you started at IGN to now? Like, what what is your perception? What was your perception of hardcore PC gamers? And because I am always curious because there, there seems to be this like dichotomy of games coverage. Either you're a PC gamer and then you just seem to hype up the newest tech and graphics and not talk about the games. And then there's these... I mean, goddamn Luddites, who are reviewing games at IGN half the time, and they don't even, like, The Verge, you couldn't even build the PC, and he put that video out. It's like, right? I, I am, you're more on the Luddite side, not that I'm trying oh, to insult you. <laughs> no, totally. That's a word I use all the time. I, I totally, because it's, it's the perfect
1: word, too, because it's not that I don't even know about technology. It's like, it's not even that important to me, right? So,
0: it's, but how do you see I, I, PC I, gaming? Like, how do you think about the fact yeah. that there is seemingly this just polarization of knowledge, you know? Sure, it's well.
1: It's a total. I'll tell you that when I started working at IGN, the PC guys that worked there, so it was like Steve Butts and Dan Adams and a few other guys. They were like the most mysterious. They had like the most mystique. They were playing games that I've never even fucking heard of, and they were using these. And I remember when we got Crisis, which I think was in mm. two thousand seven, when I had first started working there. That's when people I think started paying much more attention to PC gaming. You it was a big deal. That. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because you'll remember that the, the the conventional wisdom, conventional wisdom is always wrong in the gaming industry. I have no idea why, but. PC gaming was dead. I mean, 15 years ago, PC gaming Dude, was dead. I know that was Close. hilarious. Done. And so it was this thing where what's so funny to me is I grew up with a you know I, we got our first computer in like the early 90s. We had like a 486 and we ran Doom on it. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, wow, people in the West make because I remember you, like, it was like a shareware thing and you like send them a a check somewhere in the South. And I'm like, Oh, people in the United States make video games. And it was like this whole exposure to like Western games. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've often said you could play as NES and SNES and Genesis and never play a Western game. Right. So it, it, I look at PC gaming as this really fun frontier where all of this interesting stuff is happening, but it's, and Steam, I think, has been a, a great tool. It's actually a really admirable tool to sift through everything, let the good stuff bubble to the top. I think everyone can kind of learn from Steam. But I also find PC gamers, you know, I find the elitism a little bit of a turn off. Turn off if I, if I, if I uh, am being honest with you, almost feel like people are talking down to me sometimes. Where I'm like, I don't. Um, I'm just not into the tech. It's,
0: it's fine. It doesn't really hurt my feelings. I, I try fine. to have a, an umbrella here. This is a gaming hardware podcast. A lot of people were surprised when I talked about PlayStation and Xbox a ton last year. And I'm like, dude, new consoles only launch every five to seven years. This is a big deal. We need to cover this. This is gaming hardware. So I try to cater to anyone who wants to know about the tech behind Pixels, right? Anyone, right? Am I? So, but but what I'm saying is in the Discord here, which we have, there's a Moor's at Discord, yeah, like there, there is there, there's the talking down to the console, you know, plebs, if you will, which right. I try I to it. avoid. I know, I know I'm a pleb. I
1: know I'm a pleb and a, and a simpleton, right? Like, I get it. <laughs> but that's what makes games work. I mean, like, no offense, but there would be no gaming industry if it was just PC games. It would be a very. Oh, you industry. just angered so many people by saying it's true that, though, right? Like it, it like there, the gaming industry would be very different. It would be totally top heavy. And there would be no real mainstream resonance outside of the games that people recommend each other. Games consoles are really important to bring new people in and have a lower barrier of entry so that they graduate perhaps to PC. And that's the thing I always was always concerning to me about kind of the the pleb mentality was you should court these people because they you you kind of have a captive audience with them, right? Like so try to attract them and not talk down to them. But for me, I'm too, I'm far too, you know stupid about tech you could talk to me about it all day and i'm gonna be like i don't i don't know like i i couldn't it it wasn't until last year that chris convinced me that i should run games at 60 frames
0: (laughs) i know (laughs) this is gonna make people go who is this guy (laughs) tom stop i do remember that yeah but that's that's the point right is like we and i like insist on 120 frames half the time
1: Right, which is like undoable on on. You know, we'll maybe we'll get some games in the shooter space soon. On yeah, if five. Sony yeah. ever updates
0: their software
1: to add, I mean, I, we can talk about that later. <laughs> but but to me, I, I just so I appreciate PC gaming, but I think that PC gaming needs to appreciate that it's the Switch and the PS4 and things like that that really drive gaming as something that then spreads out and allows these top heavy PC games to kind of find even greater audiences. It's like a symbiotic relationship, right? It's not to say that there aren't millions and millions that there are more people playing on PC than anywhere else. Of course. Okay. But
0: yeah, but, I was going to bring that up next.
1: Yeah. But well, how do I put this? I, I think I just look at it as like, well, what's really driving the conversation? Is it the next call of duty running at 120 frames on PC? Or is it the last of us part two on PS4? Mm-hmm. It's the last of us, right? Is, is it, is it that games pa- Game Pass is is this revolutionary PC thing? No, it's it's that you can plug in your console to your TV and play it. PC is just like an additive thing to Game Pass, right? So. I look at it that way, where you kind of have to put the cart before the horse. Of course, there are more people playing PC games, but of course, I'm also very critical of those numbers, and I have been for a long time. It's the same number, kind of numbers where they're like, there are more women playing games than there are men. It's like, that's not true. There are more, there are more people playing games than ever. It's like, yeah, if they're playing fucking Candy Crush Saga. So we also have to look through the numbers in that way as well, because I'm sure a lot of PC games being played, if you look at numbers from King or you look at numbers from whoever that have a... a um, A dog in the fight will, uh, you know, kind
0: of sway those numbers as well. So no offense to PC gamers. Please don't yell at me. Oh, they're going to, I'm pretty sure. But I mean, like what I would say is I just think there's a misconception or I don't know from both PC gamers and console gamers. I think (laughs) I think PC gamers try to build themselves up as the, the master race of gaming. Like they have all of the stuff Um, And then console gamers try to portray themselves as busier people that are more intelligent. It's like, oh, well, I game on console because, you know, I mean, well, frankly, some of the PlayStation and Xbox fanboys are like, because, the you know, the Series X is stronger than any PC on the market because it is, you know, it's like, which is untrue. But like in like it turns into that, whereas I think the reality is, look, PC is the biggest gamer platform. But I think people need to understand that the overwhelming majority of PC gamers are using stuff probably weaker than a PS4, that these are people that scrape together a budget build on many different countries all over the world. And the reason they game on PC is because that's what they have. I mean, they can't even get... Can you even get a PS5 in Brazil, for example, because of import? No, in
1: fact, I'm so fucking happy you brought that up. Cause I was so, that was in my mind. Brazil is like the most onerous gaming market in the world. Because so they have to game on PC, right? Yeah. Because they have horrible, they have horrible tariffs where I think a PS4 cost something like $2,200 when it came out, you know? So because they, they have tariffs on over on a lot of things built in certain countries, I guess, or certain categories. No, no, and that's always been the case. That's why Genesis and Master System were so big there for so many years, well into the 2000s, because that was all they can get.
0: Well, and if you think about it, it's like PC gaming moved forward with like digital downloads, file sharing. I mean, like you just still can't really (laughs) do the file sharing thing for the consoles. But so if you want to get a game, it's like uh, they might not have a Best Buy in this town. You know, in like, you know, southern Mexico, or like, they are, they, 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 they like it's not as that. well. They probably do actually in southern Mexico, but you know what I mean? Like, there, there's countries what? where it, they can't just walk to the store and get a Blu ray, you know, Blu ray disc. They have to download it. This is how they're going to play it, and they're going to turn down settings as much as possible to run it on this old PC. I think, I think that's most PC gamers. And at the top, you have the Master Race, and in the middle is the console. And I just think, I don't think it's like, I don't really feel like either is spreading it more. I just think there are different ways to play. One of them you plug in and it works, but it's not going to do multi-monitor and edit for you in Photoshop. And then one of them can be used for anything. Everyone needs a PC or something. So sure. that everyone has one. But most of the people that have one, it's... I mean, look, guys, the, the PS5 and the Xbox Series X are actually pretty high-performing <laughs> compared to the majority of gaming PCs. Yeah, I. I well, you're right in the sense, too, that
1: the barrier to entry is so low because we have these devices. Plus you can put like VPNs on them and do all sorts of crazy shit and get games from other countries. And I know I've been reading a lot about that lately and it's really fascinating. We used to do that at IGN too with um, our PlayStation threes and stuff where we would have like a Hong Kong account and a Chinese yeah. account and a J- or a Japanese account rather. So I, I just feel like maybe, and again, I don't think this delineation could be quite so defined, but maybe it's that like, what is more important to you? Is it the fidelity of the hardware and like the hardware itself? That's what gets you excited. Like a car guy gets excited about when you go to a car show and everyone's hoods are open and you get to look at the engine blocks and you get to look at the way things are built. Or is it just like, I want, you know, uh, a Camry so I can go to work and it works fine.
0: Right. Like the the PS4 is kind of like the Camry. The problem that I do have with that analogy, though, is is I think it forces it makes people underestimate the performance of the consoles because, like, I'm just going to be honest: the Series X and the PS5, which are very similar in performance, are better than flagship $1,000 graphics cards from a few years ago. Like, and a lot of people still have those $1,000 graphics cards. That's the only misconception that I think, and that's something that I always tried to spread while. Like I was so excited when the PS Five and the Series X were coming out because I always felt when the PS Four and Xbox One launched the coverage was just like either someone was just saying they're weaker than a tablet or someone was saying they're far stronger than they actually are because they're a fanboy and the truth is in the middle. I so I would agree the PS Four might be a Camry because it's so goddamn old. I can't believe anyone. I mean I, I can't believe they're gonna. I I don't know how some. I I don't I don't yeah I don't know how Battlefield. 2042 is running on a PS4, an original PS4. It's running with a
1: much lower f- player count. And that's the thing. I'm so glad that you brought it up to you. You're bringing up a lot of great points. You're good at this. I can do it's it sometimes. It's it's because uh, I, I make the argument on my show. We do a PlayStation podcast where I, I make these two arguments that a lot, a lot of people get mad. I'm like, you don't need a PS5. The reason I say that is because I love the PS5. I have three of them in my house. But it's because I don't want people to feel bad as if they're miss, really missing out on something right now, you know it's very cool, the haptics are cool, some great games on it, but they're really hard to find, and you don't you shouldn't really feel like you're missing out because everything is coming out on the new consoles, right like so i I, I say that to people and they get a little a little upset about that um, uh, but the other thing that I think is really important to keep in mind in this space is that this power I think will be outstripped soon too, and we need to focus on. How do we make the best games with what is given to us as opposed to always focusing more and more on power? If power is only going to give us better resolutions, then that's not very interesting. So I hope that the next generation of games give us something to think about. And people are always like, well, what is it going to be, Colin? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not, I'm not Miyamoto or someone that's going to show you how this how this new thing works. Um, but I just feel like we're not utilizing the power. And that's
0: it, no, I don't think they now. are a lot of the time either. It's like no. when you look at Resident Evil Eight on PS Five and it loads. It doesn't have a loading screen. It's it is instant. And I was told by a developer that's one of the first games to actually use the IO correctly, so that it it, it loads like four times faster than the series X, just so everyone like four or five times faster. Like it's like it's like like you fade black in for Resident Evil Eight. It's very impressive on the PS Five, but it is, but can't you also see the design choices they made to make it like, right? But it's still being still held back of, though, right? Because they still have right. to put those stupid hallways in that are useless right, on the elevator. PS. PS5, and additionally, right. you still have these other games that you've brought up where it'll take 20 seconds to load for no reason, and it's just because they literally, I'm told they have two modes on the PS5 and the SDK, like so you can use the I.O., there's a little bit of programming required, or you can basically just run it in default PS4 loading mode with a, a little enhancement. It's still faster than the PS4 would do it by a margin, a large margin, but, but there's still like half of the, I mean like, half of the games still have load times that are like, on the Series X as well, not just the PS5, where you're like, you could, like... <laughs> you're not even making well, use of it. Right. And draw distances are like in Scarlet Nexus. I can't believe that there's
1: popping. I'm like, there's no yes, excuse for it no to be popping in this game. It, look at this game. There's it's not doing anything. I mean, we we have PS5 dev kits because I co own I co-own a developer, as you know, and we're bringing our games to PS5. But we've not really even split it open yet to understand, like, because people are asking us, well, are we going to get like haptic? Cause we make arcade mm-hmm. games, like 2d arcade games. We use game maker. So we don't even understand, like, can we add haptics and do all these kinds of things to our games? But I can guarantee you that they're going to be the snappiest possible iterations. Not that we're like pushing the boundaries of anything. Um, so we're, tr- we're still trying to crack that open ourselves and see what we can do on the PS5. And um, I think the more I discover on it, the more I'm going to get mad that
0: others, you know, with money and means aren't, you know, cracking it open too. Mia writes in and she asks, what can you say about the differences between development design on different platforms? For example, how different is developing for Switch versus PC versus console? Also, have you considered Proton compatibility at all when developing for PC? And if so, what did that entail? I'm going to guess the last answer. Yeah. Okay. It's like a compatibility layer to run Windows games on Linux. Uh, okay, yeah. but God, so I have no idea you're not that. the one programming it, but you do creatively lead some of these games at Lilimo. has, mm-hmm. he, have, you know, the person that you work with who does the technical stuff, like, has he mentioned anything about the difference between developing your games for, I mean, I, I know, I think you have a game on Vita, PC, Xbox, and PlayStation 4. Yeah, we have games
1: on every, we have games
0: on, yeah, Vita, well,
1: we have games on everything. Basically. Yeah. So just not the newest consoles, PS5 and Xbox Series X. The biggest difference, because we use Gamemaker, which like Unity and others kind of speaks to each other nicely with the exception of the Vita iteration. So here's a funny story. We would actually, and we still do make all of our games natively on Vita, and then we port them to everything else, because Vita uses an old version of Gamemaker. That's why when they no. Vita, they, they, that's why when they canceled Vita, um, like Vita wasn't going to publish games anymore as of a few weeks from now. That was a big deal to us and it sucked for us because I'm like, we've been building this game
0: on our new game. You're probably the only lot. person building things Vita first. <laughs> right. <we laughs> like did, a yeah, bunch of we, psychos though. But yeah, we all know we're, we're completely I mean, I have well, you,
1: you this won't be on video, but we, we have still our our you know our dev kits for Vita that we have to, I think, send back soon because we can't even do anything with them. And we just put a patch up for our game Hybroxia 2 on Vita for the last time because we can't touch it anymore. But, uh, yeah, so the big, I bring that up only because the biggest difference for us as a small developer is actually dealing with the hardware manufacturers, bring the game, bringing the games between them is actually quite trivial. We used to hire, uh, East Asia soft is our, was our old publisher and they would bring our games to switch and Xbox. We actually just proceeded to, um, conclude actually a couple months ago, a deal with them. We bought all of our builds back from them. So we own everything ourselves. And so now we are, um, working with all the different publisher or manufacturers ourselves. And that's really the bit different thing, like how everyone differently certifies their game, the processes you go through in which to submit Um, patches. That's even different, for instance, with PS4 and PS5 and Vita internally, Mm -hmm. nonetheless different for all the others. For instance, getting games on Steam is almost trivial compared to getting games on Xbox. Mm -hmm. If you publish a game on PlayStation without publishing it on Xbox, you need to often bring something to Xbox new and exclusive, or they won't even publish your game.
0: Wait, wait, so so if you publish first on PlayStation and then you're like, hey, we're porting it to Xbox you, they like try to make you add something to it, or yeah, basically, oh.
1: like it'll be like, yeah, is there a new mode or a new something because it's they're trying to bring parity. So there's all these different, you know, and with Nintendo, we it, like you have to enter like a program where you have to sign up and pay and all this kind of stuff, and then you get like the the um, you know, you get your kits. You pay for all the kits. It's not really a different yeah. other way other ways, but it's a much more um regimented thing where a lot of publishing, for instance, with East Asia Soft happens on Switch because that's the hardest console. To get your stuff on, mm-hmm. generally speaking, so that we've so we actually hired an associate producer for for the first time. We have a producer, um, and Ben Smith, who is working on that stuff for us, so that we can just worry about being creative. And mm-hmm. he deals with all the fucking insane <laughs> forms and all the shit that has to be filled out. So that's the big, you know. The so they do all have different
0: difference. forms and like weird ways you've got to do things. Um, but from a technical perspective, you haven't heard him say it's really any different. Uh,
1: no, it's, it's, it's from, yeah, sorry, I'm going on and on. From a technical standpoint, there is very little difference apart from sometimes like, again, because we build the games on Vita, we have to like get the, there's more of a tolerance on Vita for load times and all that kind of stuff. So we have to kind of get all those out um, as we port the games over because sometimes we create. Sometimes we create space within the games for things to load that, you know, well, we were saying like almost like a hallway type situation, just not really necessary in our game design now. So um, and again, that was why it was people were making fun of us. Like, why are you building your games on Vita? And I'm like, well, we're not only building our games on Vita, we're building our game on Vita so that it runs there and then we can bring it everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And that was why Sony dropping that block on us was really tough because we were like, man, we wasted so much time on this bootleg version of Game Maker. When we could have been using like the newest version of
0: game maker. Well, you're, I mean, Sony wanted, never wanted Vita to exist. So you, you've had it far Not, longer. I mean, oh my God. I can tell you fucking a million stories about that. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the
1: They wanted a, There's actually a great story recently. I think that the Verge published about the Vita and, and how it kind of went away, but they wanted to, when Vita got cracked open, the Vita was dead to them. Is basically the the full story. Like, oh yeah, Vita, I heard that. When when they cracked that the Vita firmware open, I think it was in 2015 or so. They were like, "We're this thing's done. Like, we we can't." They were worried about being, as far as I understand, they thought it was a vector into the PlayStation Network. And you have to understand mm-hmm. that they were horrified of what was going to happen and that what happened in 2011 was going to happen to them again. So the Vita, they wanted to kill the Vita immediately. In fact, I can tell you that. There were publishers and people that worked at Sony that used to bring Vita up at PSX or at E3 or something and used to get yelled at for, for bringing it up like in interviews. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Yeah. It's just like, I don't know, because you guys have it. <laughs> don't remind yeah,
1: us. Like, <laughs> they were. It's the same reason why they never brought trophies to PSP, even though they announced yeah. they were going to, is because they were afraid it was going to break. And I think that Vita just horrified them and they could never stay ahead of the curve on keeping this thing closed down. And I actually give them a lot of credit. That's the same reason why they, there was a proprietary memory card
0: was because they were like... Yeah, I didn't know that until recently thing. either. That yeah. explains
1: it a little bit. Right, but why... I knew that for years, but it's like, why didn't they just say... I couldn't... I didn't want to say anything and out with the people that are telling me this stuff, but it's like, why why wouldn't you just say that? Because I think people would understand. It's like, why wouldn't you just use an SD card? You could have answered that question eight years ago, right? Like, everyone yeah. would have been like, oh, okay, we understand. I think that would have been okay. You never... They, no one ever gives... um audience is enough
0: credit no they think everyone's a drooling idiot for some reason (laughs) and and then the people that treat them like adults tend to it's like every it's like we keep we it's like it keeps being rediscovered that people can understand you if you explain yourself yes people are smarter than you think always I always think that they're not always smarter though sometimes I mean yeah well (laughs) that's true I'm, I'm being a little too exact AMBL Chief writes in and he says, hey, Colin, I'm curious as to your thoughts on whether you see Linux becoming a first-class citizen for AAA esports titles or will it forever be an afterthought run via elaborate compatibility hacks? Put it another way, what is needed to make the tide really turn to favor Linux? So I I don't know how much you have to say about this, but I'm just kind of bringing it up, what your exposure is to people using Linux at all, like for in gaming. And if I'm guessing your games are only on Steam for Windows, right? Not for Linux. Right,
1: exactly. I think uh, we did, I think we had our games in like G O G or something like that, but uh, I don't I don't even know like where like where the game is now. We didn't sell almost any copies on PC. So I think we sold like a hundred copies of Habaka okay. <laughs> um, on PC. And the game sold over ten thousand copies. So you can see that, that our audience is not is not there, but It's funny that Linux comes up because I'm really ignorant on Linux. And I earlier this year had a custom security system put into my house Mm. with like cameras and it runs on a Linux system. So we have like a Linux box in one of my closets that's like hooked up to a monitor and a keyboard and stuff like that. And I had to kind of learn it like just this iteration. And that was what was brought up was uh, the guy that was over here was laughing. He's like, oh, if you know how to use this, it doesn't even really matter because Linux is basically whatever you want it to be, you know? And like like runs all of these different operations and my only exposure to even using a Linux machine before that was at IGN because we had a Linux machine, you know, um, Mm -hmm. running whatever. And I remember even before that, like people used to use like, weren't there people running like Apache and stuff to run websites on Linux machines like 20 years ago? And and that was like my my last exposure to it. So I'm way out of my depth even considering its usability (laughs) in the AAA or esports space my assumption is like anything it's a com- it's a compatibility and competitive issue if it brings a competitive advantage then it's not going to work if it doesn't then it's it's it doesn't matter that's why i um this also often comes up in our space with cross play yeah where it's you know with mouse and keyboard versus uh versus um controller
0: but yeah other than that i'm ignorant so i, I have to plead that well, what do you think about like the cross play initiative though because me and just by accident basically me and my brother got into Call of Duty, Modern Warfare's multiplayer in Warzone, like a uh, half a year ago, uh, mostly because Battlefield Five was done running itself into the ground, and so it was time to try something else. Uh, and, yeah, it lets you do cross-play with everyone. I mean, there's Xbox people there, PC people there, some mouse and keyboard people there. Um, I, the, the, here's the, Okay, so I will say this, though. My only problem is, is that a lot of the gamers that join a room from the PC side, happen to be hackers half the time. That is something that I kind of want to bring up in the cross that I think you've talked about before with crossplay. Do you think though that there's a a reason Sony may not want to support crossplay as openly as a lot of other companies do is because they're worried about the hacker Because I've never seen a hacker in Kill Zone 2. There were, there weren't any, you know.
1: Right, exactly. It's true. No, it's totally true. I think. Let me say this, when Epic with the Epic and Apple thing which I'm sure you're paying attention to or were paying yeah. attention to, we we learned a lot about Sony's point of view about crossplay and other deals that seemed like they were being held up for one reason that were actually being held up for another reason. Like we learned for instance with Fortnite that their hang up was that they wanted a piece of the money of items sold on other consoles, right? And mm-hmm. they ended up getting that. So, I feel like Sony is probably worried about Um, hacking. They're probably worried about competitive play and all those things. But I often, I I wonder what you think about this. I've always been of the mind, like, why wouldn't Sony, this wouldn't really deal with PC hacking, but perhaps level the playing field otherwise. I've always been confused, especially with PS5. Sony should just release a keyboard and mouse,
0: like for Uh, PS5, specifically
1: for PS5. (laughs) You're preaching
0: to the choir. The argument that I've made before on my podcast is like, so for example, um, it was like me and my friends like a year ago played, what is it, Zombie Army 4, and we got oh, it for PlayStation because eh, it runs fine on Pro and it was cheaper. It was uh, like uh, half the time when we play PC versus console, it's does the game run in a way that is an absolute garbage, number one. Number two, is it cheaper? Then it's pretty easy to hop on, pull out a controller and just play quickly without having to like download it on Steam or something. Anyways... That game, I was looking through the menu, you know, what's the performance mode, what's the resolution mode, Um, and then I saw a keyboard and mouse, and I'm like, what? And I just walked over and plugged a keyboard and mouse into the PS, God, was it a PS5 or was it a PS4? I don't remember. And it worked. Oh, nice. (laughs) And I was just like, what? So that there are more games and I've and then I tried it on a couple other games I don't remember which ones and it worked on a couple there are more games than people realize that work with keyboard and mouse already and the other but not but most of them don't and what I would say is do you, Does anyone here think they're developing a PlayStation game and there isn't some I&I file in there that would enable it if they just flipped a, f- like, changed a one to a zero? For sure, every game while it was being developed, even if it's an exclusive for PlayStation, allowed the developers to use a keyboard and mouse to walk around while they were programming the game. There's no way in hell that isn't there. You know what I mean? Like that they, of course, they did. I I also. So why are they walling it off? Add the support to the games. Like I, I
1: totally agree. I I don't understand why you wouldn't give people that option. And I feel like maybe this is going to become more um, potent of an argument when a lot of these second party relationships that they've developed to make what seem to be multiplayer games come to fruition that they've announced with Haven and Firewalk and all these other studios that we don't really know much about. So it might be a pressing need for them to kind of address this. And I'm kind of just confused from a hardware perspective, why you wouldn't just people like PlayStation branded things. Yeah. So just brand a keyboard, brand a mouse. And I bet you sell a bunch of them and then say like, well, call of duty and uh we'll bring SOCOM back or whatever fantasy people have. And, 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 and Hey, you can play the keyboard and mouse and maybe it'll even match make based on that. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that
0: you would think would be obvious, but I'm sure. And, and you're right. I don't understand seen, it. You know, I, I just right. don't understand it. Like there's no way it can't have it if they just change one line of code. Like there's no way they didn't develop this game. And it's like, oh, I don't have a controller around. I guess I can't test this build. I like, no, it works. I'm sure. I'm sure it's in every game.
1: Dude, a lot of PlayStation games were used to be built using Xbox controllers.
0: Yeah, I
1: know. know, know. Yeah. So yeah, of course, of course. And I've, I've just gone on and on in my show. I mean, I've played games on the wrong console, right? Like I played until dawn on PS3. It's like at some point you, you, uh, just have to accept that there's it's maybe a little easier than you might think and give people a little bit more control. I don't know what they're so afraid of, but I'm just so confused about the, they seem to be so into hardware as far as, you know, their controllers and these really boutique things they make. Mm -hmm.
0: Buy buy the wireless, you know, the wireless headphones, get it with your, you know, they're trying to push that really hard. Right. It's it's like, this is just another, you know, fucking keyboard and mouse seems like a
1: plate with a PlayStation logo and it'll sell a million, you know, so... (laughs) <laughs> and then, you know, make it work on PC. So it's like, yeah, and then you can plug right. it into your laptop, you know, or whatever. Right, exactly. Exactly. And use it on PS Now. I mean, they can do some sort of stupid thing like that. You know, where it's like, you can play PS Now on PC with your
0: keyboard and mouse. And I don't know. Well, so this is an interesting question here that I'm kind of curious what you think. Kenahoon25 writes in, Hey, Tom and Colin, the rumored specs of upcoming tech from Intel, NVIDIA, and AMD sound incredible. We are getting rumors that the 7900 XT from AMD is about twice as powerful as the existing 6900 XT, and CPU architectures like Zen 4 and Raptor Lake could have 24 cores and a 20% IPC increase from last gen by 2026 or 2027. This kind of performance or better should be expected on the PS6 or Xbox, or whatever Xbox wants, the Xbox, whatever they want to call it. So... I say this to ask, do you see tech advancing so fast and prices of graphics cards going up so high with each generation that people who just want a game and game alone will buy a console that will cost between five to 700 and be done with the inflated prices of PC parts? We're already beginning to see some of that this generation. Now, before mm-hmm. you talk, uh, just for reference, because I know you probably don't know what half of those names are right there. No, <laughs> like, not really. Basically, like last, I mean, let's say AMD... Was behind NVIDIA for a long time for a while. They used to be neck and neck in the late 2000s, and in 2019 or 20 yeah 2019 they launched a graphics card, the 5000 series that was catching up to NVIDIA. And then last year they launched a card twice as strong as that, which we don't usually get performance jumps like that anymore. They doubled performance in one year, and it was now it now ties NVIDIA. Like I'm doing a review, it ties like that $1,200 graphics card there for mm. less money. And I'm pretty sure, based on the people I've talked to at AMD, that their next generation could double performance again and actually take the crown from NVIDIA for the first time in a very long time. <laughs> Isn't this Moore's Law? Isn't this what this is? Isn't well, Moore's uh, Law is. Yeah, but it's like it's still like it's supposed to be... Original Moore's Law was like doubling transistors, and we haven't doubled transistors per like year. I don't even remember what he said originally. It was. It was six months for... We're not doubling transistors every year and we haven't so since it's really, the 90s. Yeah, so I have a
1: more <laughs> simplistic understanding of it. I, I mean, I want to throw this. I want to ask you a question because in in, sure. in hearing this, see, this is this person is saying what the inflated prices of PC parts and all that, that 6900 XT was a thousand dollars. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. But aren't you also a little surprised? I mean, maybe maybe I'm just maybe I'm just crazy about this, but aren't you a little surprised that the new consoles aren't modular? Like, see, that was like the whole thing. I, <laughs> I had a video
0: where I thought the Xbox might be able to be upgraded. I thought Xbox might do it. I didn't think Sony would. It's just because I, I keep talking about it on my show. We've had modularity
1: in the past with the N64 and the Genesis and everything, and people kind of wrap their minds around it. I don't know how much more complicated it can get than that, but I was a little surprised by that because it seemed kind of fr- freezing this thing in amber was a little weird at a time where power seems to be getting so extraordinary. But at the same time, it's what we were asking earlier. If, you, if you're if you given power, but don't really even know what to do with it, then who cares? I mean, we, we're seeing games where it just seems like the fast loading of the SSD is the big deal or just uh, a really steady 60 frames. Um, I'm just kind of wondering with games, let's say we have a, uh, these these really powerful components like they're saying, or like this person is saying, it's like, what do you even do with it? I don't even, you know, I don't even know. We're, we're already in, in the in the era of photorealism. We're already in the era of all these other things. I don't, I'm confused about conversations of power for power's sake. I know this is a weird place to say that.
0: Well, yeah, I think, yeah. so I think there's two things going on. I think what we have is a resurgent AMD that is now just clobbering Intel and getting, and possibly gonna clobber NVIDIA. This is a company, you know, that is, I think that spends on R&D like a fourth. No one quote me. I don't remember what it was, but it's much less than what NVIDIA does. And then they're also competing with NVIDIA and Intel. Intel's 10 times bigger than AMD, or at least they were. Um, and so I think one of the reasons we're getting so much performance right now is because AMD is figured it out. And they've got some brilliant engineers working there. They were underestimated. And so it's forcing the other companies to innovate as well, but they're also finding they can charge more money for it. Uh, what people are going to do with it I think you've got a lot of people asking themselves why they need to spend more. And you might be surprised to hear this, but the amount of people in the comments I saw before the PS5 and Xbox Series X came out saying, I'm not, again, like, th- this is, that's 1200 like, behind me, I'm pointing, that, that 3080 right. is $1,200. Right now, I'm testing a $5,000 <laughs> graphics card in my PC. Granted, that's for a professional, like, Hollywood studio person yeah, like rendering or whatever. Yeah. So it's like, fair enough. But you're still seeing these inflated prices where, you know, something like the the 3070 behind me is really what would be a mid range card that used to be like three to 400. Now it's selling for five to 600. Everything's going up in price. And I saw so many people before these graphics cards came out saying, you know, just fuck that. I'm getting a PS5. Fuck that. I'm getting an Xbox. And Actually, there's a lot of things there. Then, why doesn't Xbox play into that and let you run Windows on Xbox? That's a huge question I have. They are Microsoft be- that's got that's got to be in the future. I would assume. I right? I I really thought they what I mean, man. Can you imagine a better selling point to back to school in 2020 than like, hey, get your son an Xbox Series X, and he'll also be able to like edit his videos at NYU or whatever. You know, like, yeah, or like come I on. Even see like a really, I even see like a really cute commercial in my mind where like a kid is in his
1: bedroom on his Xbox with his keyboard, and his mom keeps coming in or whatever, and he's oh, yeah. pressing a button to hide his game he's playing, and it brings just up like you know like. You know, Windows doc or whatever, and he's just writing. He's like, No, I'm writing a on paper. his TV. You know? Yeah. And then he, like, and then his mom leaves, and then he put,
0: you know, it, God, the marketing writes itself. But are yeah, these so, marketing departments just inept? Like, I feel like sometimes we just come up with the most obvious. I, I, I'm getting off subject. I came up with that in 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, though. exactly. Like, it's, I, it's not like I'm on Madison Avenue or something. But, but I just feel like it, I'm just confused
1: about. <laughs> let me ask you this. Let me, let me meet him back up and ask you this. Because, wouldn't the power be used on the cloud side and on the, on the mass computing side and such that people will just, st- in other words, I'm wondering if people, if there will even be another series of consoles or if pe- eventually we'll get to the point where it's like, can we just have a, will, will streaming get reco- uh, to the place where we can just play these things in the cloud or just do something? I, I wonder, I, I remember talking to someone, You, I mean, I sound like an idiot talking about this compared to you, but. About this idea, I couldn't even put it into words, but I was talking about like anticipating, using clouds, cloud computing to anticipate what a player might do. Mm. In other words, like you have a you have a copy of Bioshock and right. you heat map it over and over again and you let computing kind of crunch the numbers so that it assumes that a player will do this next. And so it's always rendering what it thinks a player will do next based on its behavior. And so it removes this sort of latency.
0: Like I, I wonder if maybe... Now, Google tried to clever- do that it, and it yeah. doesn't work as well as PlayStation Now or X Cloud or, or really anything. I mean, <laughs> Stadia said they were going to do it. And I, of course, if you're like, if anyone can do it, Google should be able to. And, uh, I don't know. I, I would say yes is my short answer, but they didn't. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think it's harder think, than people expect. I
1: think so too, because I think that, I mean, certainly you're just going to have, there's always, it's not going to be the same as playing in, uh, at a console in front of you. I think maybe we just have to see what people's tent or, um, if they want to withstand that experience or not and also like what games can withstand that experience i don't think it's a big deal if you play minecraft missing a couple of frames but i mean call of duty Dragon is Man. not going to work <laughs> right exactly or a competitive shooter something like that so maybe i'm getting i'm putting the cart before the horse in that respect but i guess i'm just trained in my mind to to not understand technology to such a degree as just a games writer and the kind of the gaming side of of things where i'm like certainly the conventional wisdom that consoles were going
0: to go away will eventually be true. Well, so I don't know when that will be. You might find this take interesting then. Um I think that game streaming is going to expand the gaming market. It's going to be like... Well, I mean, I think you've talked about this recently. You know, you can stream Xbox games over xCloud. You don't need a new console. So you don't even need to buy the Series X if you have right. an Xbox One. So that just expands who can play that, and they're going to add that to TVs. So someone who... Doesn't play a lot of games. I have many friends like this. But if they could pay $5 a month, they might. They might pay $5 a month to play like 720p games that requires absolutely no hardware. I don't think they're going to pay $20 a month, Microsoft. But, right. you know, I th- that's how I see game streaming working. Because the fact is the experience is worse. It looks worse. It is The latency is an issue. But casual gamers, it probably isn't an issue. I think I, I think Chris Reagan said that recently. He said I'm talking about the people where when I visit their house, I have to put their TV in game mode because somehow they didn't right. fucking notice the 50 milliseconds right, exactly. of latency. That's just notorious. Like, like you can see it moving slow. Like, but some people don't notice that. I, I think that's what streaming's for. I actually am a contrarian. I feel. And I've I've actually gotten into debates with experts on it that I do not think game streaming will take over enthusiasts possibly ever. And and here's why. There's, There's two reasons. Number one, I'm sorry. I can tell the difference. And maybe I'm a 120 hertz person. You know, like I'm very sensitive to latency. So, like, whatever. But... I just think more people are sensitive to it than you'd think, and I think graphics have already gotten to the point that running a game on a $500 box isn't that hard, and that every time you make streaming performance better, you know what's also going to get better? Well, you know, Moore's Law is maybe dead, but we're still increasing performance, and in fact, I think we might have increased performance faster than Moore's Law allowed us before because of like what's going on with 3D stacking and really some, frankly, crazy stuff Intel and AMD are working on right now, but... So I think performance is just going to keep going up. Some of that's going to come with more cost. 3D stacking is crazy expensive. But some of it's not going to come with more cost. And so I think it's always going to be a $500 box looks better than trying to stream 4K. Because what? They just figured out streaming 1080p? Great. The PS5 does 4K. You know? So it's like there's, whatever the $500 box of that year is, I think will bring a better experience than trying to make stadia work. That that's just my contrarian point of view. If I'm wrong, I'll go, "You're right." You know, and I'll probably eventually be wrong, but I I don't know, it's just it, it's just starting to feel like to me every time they say we got better latency, we also are like, "Yeah, well now my phone can run, you know." Fortnite and it, like everything's getting more powerful though. Is it that hard to just get a two hundred dollar console, four hundred dollar console? I don't know that it is. Look at the Series S; it's only three hundred dollars. Would you rather have that running in fourteen forty p or ten eighty p, or would you rather deal with a thirty frames per second ten eighty p stream? I, I, I'd rather have the the lower latency, and I think most people would notice it. Yeah, I
1: think you're probably right. I mean, that was what I was saying about. And by the way, he's a, a or this situation to me is about tolerance. And maybe you're right; it's about what's normal to you and what you can tolerate as far as fidelity or lack of fidelity. And then this idea of a gateway drug, kind of getting people on board at the lowest common denominator and making them into something greater. I guess in thinking and listening to you talk, I'm also thinking about emerging markets Mm. and infrastructure and all of that. I think India was a really big place for them to launch PS5, Sony. They were really Mm -hmm. excited about it. And so it's just not gonna be that, we're, they're going to have a streaming solution in India in 10 years. And right. they, they're also they're not, not. going to have a streaming solution in, you know, Butte, Montana in 10 years. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's not like it just goes both ways. So I think maybe I'm a, a little too futuristic in this. I regard. don't know, but
0: think, a lot yeah. of people in the tech space say the same thing you do. Like, it's going to replace everything. Some very smart people older than me, you know, older, like 50 years old, own their own company. They're like, streaming's coming. And I'm like, then make it work. Google couldn't. <laughs> Wouldn't it require, I mean, because I know Sony talked a little bit about this, but
1: you're, I guess getting streaming working the best would be, you would have to create places all over the world, right? Like where, where the, the stuff lived, right? I mean, you would have to Which have... Stadia said they were going to do, yeah.
0: Right. Like you're going to have to have a place in upstate New York for upstate New York. You're you'll need to a, place a place in Virginia next to you. They'll need to build right. a place next to me in Nashville. Then they're going to need to put these all over the place. And then it's like, well, so how many though? At what point is it cheaper to just send someone a $200 box? exactly silicon's not expensive you know uh, and so i'm very skeptical and 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 in fact i the thing is performance is increasing again but it's becoming more expensive to get more performance and i do wonder like if amd doubles performance again next year which they certainly could based on what i'm hearing okay so now they'll have something that's like three times stronger than the ps5 but if they charge 2 grand for it which by the way they will um I, <laughs> Is anyone going to care? You know, and that's, and I think that's right. to bring it back to Kennahoon's question, like how much of it do you, cause you're, you game on console, so I don't know how much you care about PC gaming, but like how much of it do, do you see that at all in the comments, people being pushed into console from PC? Cause at least I run into people saying that they're like, I give up, you know what, I've, I've gamed on controllers enough and I'm just going to get an Xbox or something.
1: Yeah, I, I I see that as specifically with Xbox. It seems like Xbox is kind of the attractive ta- uh, target mm-hmm. right now for a lot of people making the jump. But we've also been so belligerent towards PC gaming for so long on our show, <laughs> you know, as jokingly that I think most people know that we'll we'll just make fun of them or whatever, um, and then they'll make fun of us back for our our various gaming preferences. But it's it's very strange. I, I often do. You know what the the um what is the effect on Supply chains and on and inflation hmm.
0: having on these prices as well. And, and like, how will I mean, it, it's me. a complete clusterfuck. I mean, everyone basically, what I would say is, and I've heard you guys try to talk about it on sacred symbols, but um, yeah, so basically, when the pandemic happened, TSMC, who basically makes freaking everything, it's actually becoming a, mon- a monom- monopolistic problem now, in my opinion. Um, they actually put cycled down capacity by, from what I was told, 30% into 2020 because they're like, well, we don't know if the world's going to end, so we're going to make less stuff. Um, And a lot of companies did this. No one really, everyone thought demand would go down, but instead what you saw is the people that had money to spend worked inside, didn't commute, saved more money. So the people that would buy expensive products now have more money to spend and they saved money and then at the end of 2020 everyone just started spending you know for multiple reasons i mean i think when it comes to high-end gaming hardware it has to do with i've been stuck inside for a whole year i have nothing to do this winter this sucks i'm gonna get a new ps5 there was ever a winter to pay extra to high-end game. It was probably the 2020 to 2021 winter. So I- Certainly, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's very interesting. I never even thought about that. So They they totally guessed wrong. So so I, I, and it happens all the time in history. You know, we think that they were stupid, but it's like, put yourself in their shoes. Um, And so that's what happened. And so actually TSMC wasn't even at full capacity until about now. So now they're at full capacity. And from what I'm told, TSMC is not the bottleneck. The bottleneck is all the components, substrate. So that's- Here's a silicon wafer, you know? Oh, wow, that's interesting. I know, it's real shiny, right? I wanted to use it as like a a, a thing to serve food, but like this is way too fragile (laughs) too. Yeah. But uh, this would shatter. Oh, that's that's super cool that you have that. Yeah, Yeah. but so, like, this, these wafers are used by everyone, not even just people making PS5s. The substrate required to then print the stuff is in low supply. And to have new suppliers on board to build that, not everyone can make that. (laughs) Like, so it takes months to, like, for AMD, for Intel, for Sony, for TSMC, really, to okay these new suppliers. And so that's happening. And then there's also problems with like power supply components and like, so basically what's happening is everyone's got caught off guard, they're catching up and they will catch up by early 2022. In fact, prices are already coming down on a lot of gaming graphics cards pretty rapidly. So that's what's going on. And when it comes to capacity, it's like, I don't know if Sony could have sold 40 million, they would have, I bet they regret not buying more capacity ahead of time, but they just didn't know. So I don't I talked for a long time. I don't know if I answered every question you had. I bet there were I bet I missed something you asked. No, I mean
1: it's it's interesting to get this kind of more technical insight into it because we hear a lot about um the trouble with container shipping and the trouble with and not just because that
0: of that thing in Suez Canal but just like uh, yeah. The
1: cost of shipping containers has gone up like 10 times. Well, yeah, so then there's a runaway all effect, right? Up.
0: Right, because then there's pent-up demand. They didn't plan ahead. And because there's pent-up demand, everyone starts trying to outbid each other for shipping, for, I mean, I actually, I did a video where I looked at a graph of like increasing prices for the new graphics cards. And it was like one-to-one with which companies had, which countries had more commuter flights because they use commuter flights to ship half of the crap on Amazon, right? Because... What they'll do is they'll just like wait for the American Airlines flight you're flying on, perhaps to San Francisco, and they'll say, hey, these packages need to go there. We've got extra weight. And they make money, American Airlines does, stuffing the hull with all these extra packages next to your luggage. And so when people stop flying during a pandemic— Shipping prices exploded. Everyone was chartering flights and stuff was most expensive in the UK. Why? Because they were flying the least. U.S. was flying the most for better or worse. (laughs) And so, you know, there's a lot of runaway effects that happened when you have under supply, but then runaway demand, but then also people desperate and not willing to wait. It just becomes an exponential increase in prices on everything. I think the PS5 was planned to be sold at a slight profit. The reason it probably isn't right now is because of those shipping costs. Because I know Sony, I was told specifically, the number one person paying for these charter flights absurd prices was Apple because they had the money and they wanted to make sure everyone got one. After that, I was told Sony was chartering expensive because they knew the more PlayStations they got in hands, the more market share they take at the beginning of a console gen. So uh, yeah, it's vital. So I'm sure th- I'm sure they were just I'm sure they were losing money on PS5s because of the shipping costs.
1: It, it probably so. And yeah, like the inflationary cycle is being so unkind to a lot of this too, although it'll be benefit their books later because, right. um, uh, they'll sell more units. And I, 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 you might remember in the PS3 era when like they literally were showing in their financials that the more PS3s they sold, the more money they lost. And it was like, it was this cat, cat, catastrophic cascading failure for them. They're in a much better state now and selling, obviously, meteorically, they can sell whatever they can make. So I'm sure that's urgent for them to get this over. And, and, uh, especially with such a resurgent and and positive and popular Xbox brand that's doing really great
0: right now. Well, I don't know how much time you have, but that does bring me to a—we've f- been talking for a while. That does bring me to one subject that I, I want to really try to touch on then. Sure. And you brought it up. So how do you see the current—it's situation? such an open-ended question, but I don't know how else to say it. The current competition situation, ebb and flow between PlayStation and Xbox, what position is each one in? You know, like start wherever you want. You can start early. You know, and like talk about what you thought would happen before launch or after. But like, like how do you see the competition between them right now? It's interesting because Microsoft is
1: doing things that Sony simply cannot do Mm. because of the market cap that Microsoft has and the amount of money on hand that they have as compared to Sony. And Microsoft seems to be focused in a much more meaningful way, not only in Game Pass, But in this idea of just multiple subscriptions and how that will Mm -hmm. be a reliable revenue source for the company, not even just with Game Pass, but of course, they've been doing this for a long time with their, um, you know, uh, their office suite and even Windows subscriptions and all of that. Like the, the idea of going and buying something and using it forever is going away. And Microsoft has been in the forefront in a lot of ways of trying to pioneer this in gaming. They did it with Xbox Live, which was considered to be like totally... Remember, remember everyone on PlayStation used to make fun of Xbox Live until mm-hmm. PlayStation Plus was forced <laughs> onto
0: them. There's a lot so, of console fanboys that make fun of a feature of another console. And then they're... Like, I remember with the DualShock on PS3, it didn't have Rumble right away. And there were just so many people like, I don't need a vibrator in my house. <laughs> and the yeah, second exactly. they had and, DualShock 3, everyone goes and buys one.
1: You really wanted it, you idiot. And of course that was because the boomerang controller was so unpopular
0: that Sony had no time to even make (laughs) another mold. So they literally used the PS2. Uh, It's Uh, off subject. I know what the hell Sony was thinking back then, but I'm sorry. Continue.
1: No, it's okay. It's it's very, it's, I think, I think that era is hysterical. Uh, So I think Microsoft is making this big play that I think can seismically shift the way games are funded and the way games are made for better or for worse. Mm. You're seeing a lot of positive talk right now, out of indie developers, especially that Game Pass has been a lifeline for them to allow them to have a predictable um, fee. And sometimes they work out different deals where it's by download or it's what this, that, or the other thing on an individual basis. And it's very positive, but I fear Game Pass um, will cut down. Let me put it this way. Microsoft is never going to chart again. When they spend $200 million on Halo, that's gone. The money is now recouped not with $100 or 100% or hundred or 70% rips on games sold, but rather on sustaining this ever-growing subscription model. And the subscription model is going to need to be fed more and so on and so on. And it's going to ping-pong back and forth and we don't really know where it's going to go. I think the only way Sony can fight back in this, in this ecosystem is by um, really emphasizing quality. And that's what we really talk about on our show. I don't know if it's even a winning play, mm. but when we look it's at- It's like their match, only look, option though, right? I mean, like what else can so. they do? Well, I I think you're exactly right because I think what you saw with PlayStation Plus Collection, which is a really cool thing and it's something that's understated because it's just the Game Pass that doesn't look very impressive at all. But I've made the case that there are probably five games on PlayStation Plus Collection that are better than anything on Game Pass. And if Sony can play that up and say like, listen, you can go and play that shite D&D game day one on Game (laughs) Pass if you want, and that's great, but we're going to have God of War and we're going to have Horizon and we're going to have Gran Turismo. And I don't know if it's a winning play for them. But I think it's their only play. And we saw something out of their financials, which is interesting too, which is Microsoft is going after a bunch of studios. The rumors are they're not done. And the rumors are also that they're going after publishers now, not studios. So, and we saw that with Bethesda, obviously, which is a publisher, but they're looking at other publisher um, acquisitions. They don't want individual studios now. And th- that is, I think, their Achilles heel. It's going to be very hard for them to produce. And I don't mean make but produce executive mm-hmm. produce 35 teams Yep. and make sure that they're all working in tandem because I actually said, and you know, cause you listen to the show. I said months and months ago, Microsoft is aiming towards getting a game, a triple a game out every quarter. That is what they want to do. Should they should be with say? how many people they have. If they don't, they right. failed.
0: Let's just be honest. What did they
1: literally say the last week? They literally said, we want to get a triple a game out mm-hmm. every quarter. And to do that, you're going to have to be organized. In Sony's financials, they took 200 million dollars and earmarked it to give it to their existing teams to expand those teams. So we're right. seeing some of that. Like Naughty Dog seems to be making four games right now.
0: Well, so that, right? that, that's an important thing to bring up too, because I was looking right. at this behind the scenes with my brother, who's the usual co-host of Broken Silicon, um, and he started like looking into studios. He like actually started compa- actually consider start doing a video on it, comparing the studios between Microsoft and Sony. And if you actually break it down by headcount, they're not. It's not like actually Microsoft has an advantage, they just have more studios. Sony's got these massive Gorilla, Naughty Dog, hundreds of people working on multiple games at the same time. I could be wrong, maybe someone's gonna put in the comments I'm a complete idiot, but at least when Dan started looking into it, he's like, no, actually Sony's headcount in their studios is pretty similar. I think it probably is too, because you think about like Microsoft, I'm sorry, PlayStation has a couple
1: of tiny teams like pixel opus, right? But you're right. Like San Diego studio, for instance, is huge. Like we don't even hear from them very often because they just make MLB, but that's a, that's a, I mean, just in quotes, but that's a, that's a big imprint for them. And you're absolutely right about that. I also think the important thing, and we talk about it on a lot on our show is Sony needs to play strategically and not buy the cow when the milk is free. And so you see them doing that a lot, right? They, 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 I think are announcing prematurely a lot of these deals like they did with Jade Raymond and everything where they don't really have anything to show, but it's clear that they're eager to start making new second party relationships, some of which in previous generations matured in the first party relationships, but you need to let that kind of take its course. And what I've been saying on my show is that Sony is a very deliberate purchaser of studios. They bought sucker punch and then they didn't buy another team for eight years then they bought Insomniac. Now they haven't bought another team.
0: And Insomniac in is
1: years. just, I mean, <laughs> they, look yeah, at the you know, games they put out at the launch of this console. $229 million, they paid to Nothing. I know. They paid absolutely nothing. And by the way, they've been trying to buy Insomniac for 20 years. I can't believe they sold so sh- so low. I'm sure Ted Price is punching himself for that. but Punching himself
0: with still pretty large fists made of
1: money. Yeah, pretty large stacks of money. I, I would agree in the sense that I don't know that I would need much more than that, but um, so I think that they have to play kind of deliberately and start they're starting because a couple of studios that I think they were interested in either didn't work out or mm. walked away from them. I think Quantic Dream was a studio they were yeah. primed to buy at one point. I think that yeah. didn't work out right. In fact, the the development of Detroit was a complete nightmare as far as I understand oh. on the Sony side. And and of course, all the uh, things that come out of that st- that studio is being sued by people. And there's a lot of stuff going on with Quantic Dream. But then other studios that they were trying to mature, like Massive, which I think would have been a really good studio for them to buy, ended up signing an eight game contract with Bandai Namco. So now I think that they're starting to kind of settle down and be like, all right, who are the new teams? Mm-hmm. How can we get invested with published games and then have a tether so that like, we did with Sucker Punch after they made Sly Cooper and Infamous. We're like, you know, we'll, we'll buy you. It makes sense. After, after Infamous, I'm sorry, after with Insomniac, after Spider-Man, we'll buy you. You know, and Ratchet and Resistance, we'll buy you. It makes sense. So I think they're trying to kind of settle it there. But I think the big problem for them is on the Game Pass front. And they need to figure out a way to speak to that because they, they, they simply, PlayStation Now is not enough. PS Now has three and a half million subscribers. That's fewer than 10% of what Microsoft has
0: now. Which it didn't used to be like that either. But right. now Microsoft, it, it's really becoming a thing. It really is. It, it, it really is. And and it's outstripping, like you said,
1: xCloud and even backwards compatibility is outstripping the need for you to have the hardware. They're playing. They're playing for keeps. This is an Xbox that we've never seen before. I keep nope. trying to tell people that. About time, by this the is, way. This is a definitely a different breed of Xbox. A breed of Xbox that went to the board and got $7 million to buy a a, a publisher or $7 billion (laughs) to buy a publisher. I mean, that's, and then they made it all back. Then that, you know, Microsoft made it all back in profit the next quarter, but you have to go, you can't just go around and be like,
0: we're going to spend $7 billion on this thing. You have to No, some people act like that too. Right. Some people act like Microsoft will just keep doing that. It's like, well, I mean, obviously, they can be more reckless because they have the money to. That affords them the ability to just buy, whereas Sony has to be so careful with who they buy because they don't have the money to waste it at all. They have to make sure the team not only is good, but works well with their leadership, right? Right.
1: Sony has less cash on hand than that Bethesda deal cost Microsoft. So that that just puts you into, in the comparison, like the kind of money you're talking about, right? Like, so I, I think I said it on our show to, for Sony to make the deal the same way Microsoft did mostly in cash and with options or whatever they would have had to go borrow money. They yeah. would have literally had to go and borrow. They didn't even they didn't even have it. So you're talking about te- about stu- about um companies rather with totally different scales of economy and Microsoft is bringing that to bear on Sony for the first time and frankly they should have done it a lot sooner. Oh yeah.
0: You know I don't even know what they've been thinking. They got out of their own way eventually, honestly. Like, I don't know what they were. I mean, I just uh, did a podcast with my brother that'll come out probably uh, decently after this. But we started talking about how, like, in the games for Windows era, like, Microsoft was just in their own way. I mean, they were, like, not putting games on PC, even though, I mean, Windows is their main moneymaker. They were, like, games for Windows was ruining how games ran on PC. Meanwhile, it was just. And then they just, and then they made it all about gaming on Xbox. And then at the Xbox One, they just out of nowhere. Now it's not about gaming. It was, I think they just said, hey, what if we just hire like one competent person to run this place and get out of their way? Like, I, I, I and and it's certainly being run well now. Yeah. And I mean, I'm glad because, I mean, competition is only good. I can't, like, this is, I don't feel like Sony would have gone into complete malaise, but there's that little bit of laziness I'm seeing. Where they were clearly getting comfortable with being in the lead. and, and I, I agree with you. And and I
1: also must say, and I'm sure you would agree with this, that everyone has tried to ignore Xbox many times to their peril by like Xbox was the one that was like, I mean, remember how crazy it was when they were like, we don't have a phone line in our Xbox. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, what? And this is in 2001. It's like, how are you supposed to plug it in? Well, you, you plug it in with the ethernet. Well, we don't have ethernet. Well, too bad. That's the future of gaming,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, and so right. SOCOM. And they had Xbox Live and they had achievements and they had all these things that were just totally right. So, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, but I interrupted you. SOCOM on PS2 allowed you to use a phone line. And we knew which persons in the enemy squads were using that because we'd be like, oh, God, it's a phone line guy. He's right. He's <laughs> just it's, it's, zigzagging it's, it's, exactly. and teleporting all over the place. It's completely, <laughs> it was like unfair. It was almost an advantage to have bad internet. It, it, exactly. And it's like they. They've done a lot. I mean, I remember when
1: I got my original Xbox and I was blown away by just I was like, I can't believe this thing even does what what it's doing. I remember the original the original Xbox Live arcade was like on disk. Remember that? And you were like mm-hmm. you had to like interface with things and buy them there. And but they they insisted that these different things we're right. Like, you're going to have a hard drive, not a memory card. You're going to have an Ethernet cable, not a phone line. You're going to pay a subscription fee for online play because it's better. You're going to have a metagame like Achievements. You're going to, and, and it's everywhere. All that stuff's everywhere. People don't give Microsoft enough credit for that. It's happened very silently. And now they're doing the same thing with subscriptions. Mm-hmm. And they're, and they're doing it in... competently, right? They're definitely doing it competently now. Exactly. It's all coming to bear. And Sony. Better be very careful because they are dealing with a very serious competitor for the first time, I think, that can really hurt them. And I I know what people are saying where it's like, well, Microsoft hasn't produced any games yet. They have nothing to show for it. And all I have to say to that is like, they will. And then we'll yeah. see how that all how that all works out for Sony. We're in a, a situation where it's very easy to say, like, well, we have Ratchet and we have Returnal and they have nothing. And it's like, well, they're going to have Halo. They're going to have Starfield. They're going to have 30 other teams making p- products for them. And then whatever second party and third party deals they make. And Sony on the other side is like, well, we can't compete like that. So what are they doing? They have a clear relationship with Square Enix. They're getting all of these third party exclusives. Holy shit. Do you remember when third party exclusives were dead? Now they're yeah. the thing again. So it's all just, it's all very interesting. And I think that I agree with you all. First of all, I know that I agree with you. Competition breeds excellence. And Sony needs to pay close attention because they're losing, I think, the long-term battle of the way people play for, pay for games, how much people think games should cost, how they think should, they should be sent to them. And Sony maybe needs to look at it and say, like, we need to um, play nicer with our players, have a subscription model, maybe that makes sense. And hey, like I keep saying on my show, because I said, well, you know, we were saying, well, will the Elder Scrolls 6 be on PlayStation. And I said, yes, because Game Pass will be on PlayStation by then. <laughs> and
0: I think that I, I think at this point, it's some people are going to laugh at you. I, I don't disagree. That could be. It, well, it should be the long term goal. But once that happens, clearly they've won because I don't think Sony would want to allow it right away. Well, I think they have to. First of all, we're going to find we're going to
1: see all that stuff here on Switch first. Right. With like X. Probably. Yeah. Then I think that's going to really put the heat on Sony to say like we have to pay attention and I think Microsoft would be very glad to put Game Pass on PlayStation if they were allowed I think that what they have to do is say like we want a version of Game Pass that is just Xbox first party and second party games none of the third party stuff or whatever Mm. and I I I know people think it's funny but there are two things people have to remember Microsoft was 90 percent of the way of releasing a Halo game on DS right and then it got canceled at the last second which people have seen it people need to look it up because this is true this is true right and the second uh, thing is that, and I can tell you because I know people in the room, Microsoft w- was trying to bring Master Chief Collection to PS4. Mm-hmm. You know, so and that was early in the PS4 generation. So don't just laugh at it because Microsoft has always been eager to do this. And the show, obviously <laughs> translated or obviously dealt with through the MLB, has been a complete embarrassment and black eye to Sony. Yeah, and that it was on Game Pass and all of that and. Um, I would expect to see much more assertion like that, such that I don't think in a few years it would be that ridiculous to see game pass on PlayStation. And I actually think that Microsoft would be perfectly happy not selling a fucking piece of hardware ever again. If they could get that thing on, if they can get that thing running on switch, they get that thing running on PlayStation, they get that thing running on PC. It's like, well, what do you even bother? I mean, what do you even need to make hardware Then now? And, now you, and I feel like this is the Netflix idea, right? Like the shit, remember on PS3, you used to have to use Netflix on a disc. And, I know the we did that, I think, or something. I don't know, did it? I don't remember. Well, no, do you remember the reason why that was? Everyone had to because Microsoft had the exclusive downloadable rights for streaming. You could run streaming oh. off of a disk on the other platforms. So they're going to start doing and pinching shit like this, I think. And it's going to be a really interesting situation um, economically, I think.
0: Well, so, and I think at the end of the day, it's hard for me to say what's going to happen with Games Pass because, I mean, there's, there's, I could do a whole podcast on what I think (laughs) about the future of that is because I think you, first of all, I think you can make an argument that it is clear Microsoft is just, you know, pumping dollars into a blunderbust and firing it and seeing who they can buy. Like, I don't think there's a whole lot of strategy yet. Like, wait, so they're, (laughs) I was talking to my brother about this, so they're buying Obsidian to make a Skyrim competitor, and then buying <laughs> Bethesda, and then right. also making a new Fable. There's no planning here. They're just making yeah. everything, and these games are gonna cannibalize each other. Like, and so you could almost argue because of people, and I think it's true. I don't think Sony tried to do this, but they accidentally turned into a third person adventure console, which is every game is a guy with a gun jumping around in third person. And then you look at xbox though is this just going to turn into a skyrim clone console i don't know i mean i, I don't think they're trying to do that but i think that's fair criticism of microsoft's Shit, approach I mean, <laughs> obsidian announced the outer worlds too yes, well. like it is and it and, is, and then the uh, God, i gotta can't even remember it uh, outer avowed world or whatever uh, there's yeah. the, there's the outer worlds too and then there's uh avowed right is that what w- it's called who's from bethesda the sky one or the Space One, kind of, well, Oh, that's uh, that's Starfield. Yeah, Starfield. G- Jesus. G-SG. Yeah. So they're they're yeah, making both of those okay at the same oh, time. Yes, they're coming out. True. It seems like. What? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny because
1: I think you're right. I, I I mean I've said before we don't really know, but it seems like the Bethesda deal was something that just happened. Like, oh, yes. I, feel, I, I I don't. I feel like they overpaid. First of all, I think it's pretty obvious to make it happen, but I think that they realized that Sony was sniffing around. I mean, it's it's pretty common knowledge that Sony was very eagerly trying to buy starfield as yeah uh, so
0: anyone complaining sony was going to try to do that to xbox people so
1: right exactly and i think microsoft became privy to that and was like well they already kind of got a couple of these games from them why don't we just go and talk to them and and try to solidify this relationship and i know people think sony
0: should do it in kind with square enix or whatever Mm. but i'm like i don't want that to happen i want them to liberate like metal gear solid and konami ip because that helps everyone you know, right. that helps everyone if <laughs> they will do a better job. <laughs> Sony will steward Castlevania better than Konami, who couldn't give less of a shit about <laughs> any of this stuff. Totally. I, I so I, I and
1: I personally want Sony to start making new teams. Right. Like, yeah. And I think that that's what they're trying to do. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we learn about that. But the whole purchasing thing, I just think it's you do that. I think Microsoft's big enough. I think if they start buying more teams then you have to really question what what it is they're even trying to do. And I, I. I yes. Feed Game Pass probably, but I don't.
0: At, at what cost? I don't. I don't know. Well, and so let me say this too. If you look at MLB the Show sales, it's still selling pretty damn well on PS Five. Yeah, it's the third best selling <laughs> so, game so of is, the year. Is Microsoft sitting there and going, "We paid all this money for this deal, and fuck it, Sony's just making millions a month off of selling MLB the Show. People are still willing to just buy games and own them. You know, so yeah. uh, the people that that's the one thing I will say. Just saying. The Netflix of gaming will work. I don't know. The resistance to that in the gaming space is far. It's so much different than, like, I I had Games Pass, and I played Deep Rock Galactic. I couldn't recommend it enough. It's a fantastic co-op game. We played that on Games Pass because it was there for free. And eventually, I realized I was just paying for Games Pass to play Deep Rock Galactic, waited for it to go on sale, played it on Steam. By the way, on Steam, it loads faster, runs better, crashes, it never crashes. It's just better than running it on Games Pass. Like, so, it, I I mean, like, I came to the conclusion I'd rather own my games because I don't play enough games where I'm never, there's no night where I am have so much free time where I'm like, I wish there was a hundred games that I weren't going right. to play anyways that I could play. Like, and I think, so I think the quality argument can work from Sony's perspective. I actually think it can win. I, I They just have to do it. Yeah,
1: they have to deliver on that promise and I think I do think that is an exposure of Game Pass's weakness. I don't
0: think qu- quantity equals quality and I think and then so like 10 Skyrim clones come out and it's like, okay, well I don't have the time to pay, play all of them. I should just bought one. Right, exactly.
1: And and I and, and it's also this idea of free, right? Like you're paying a subscription. So and and that's clearly what they're trying to do. They're they're I mean, they're not scared. They're eager to fill Game Pass with their own content and that's the only way Game Pass is going to survive. So it's it's one. And then the other, I mean, they're in this, Microsoft has played its hand. I mean, this is, this is yep. what they're going to do. And I think it's great, but I, I am eager to see if Sony can, can massage a competitor that says we have better games and will that resonate? Cause I don't think anyone den- can anyone really deny that
0: Sony has better games than Microsoft. That might not be people in the comments. Years, will right now, right
1: now, that's true right now.
0: Sure, right. Because like I'd say the no games argument is solved when they launch Starfield, right? Not now. Right. It isn't solved yeah, yet. Halo, Halo doesn't even have a release date. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Halo's coming this year, but we'll see. I don't think Horizon's uh, coming this year either. So, uh, well, that would be yeah. So I guess I won't touch that, but I wouldn't. Neither would surprise me. Um, what I'll say then is what I've heard from a couple developers I talked to. Right, I don't know anyone at PlayStation Studios. I, I know you know Neil Druckmann, so I know you're better informed than me on that. But what I've heard from a couple of people is that it seems like there were a lot of PlayStation games that were going to come to PS4, and they just kind of won. And they're like, "Take your time; these can come out." And I think Horizon was one of those games that started as a PS4 game, and it was. They're like, you know what? Take your time. You can take four or five years to make this game. It it doesn't need to come out right now. We won, you know. Right, so, right. Uh, but that needs to be proven. Like, right now, I think that's probably true, that actually Sony is preparing to launch an exclusive, if not every quarter, at least three times a year. And they just need to prove they're going to do it. I don't know if they should show their entire roadmap of games ahead of time like Microsoft just did. I'm guessing they're too stubborn, If even if they could, and they're like, no, we will tell you when we tell you. But I think all we need to do is, if you're a PlayStation fan, I suppose— hope that Sony actually isn't screwing around behind the scenes which there's been some evidence they were with Ben and such um and they oh my act- god they wasted 18 year, 18 months of Ben's entire schedule <laughs> they wasted yeah it's like it's like you, oh. so oh so hopefully they saw that mm-hmm. they saw what Microsoft's doing and they're like get it together and they will do this in the meantime i believe they do need to fix the software and gamer will issue that isn't an issue yet but it's pretty close to being one like where they're just quiet, they're weird. They randomly say you can't get games on PS3 anymore. They re- like there's no there's a disconnect. This weird corporate thing that frankly reminds me of how Microsoft was at the end of the 360 era that just right. kind of completely alienated their fans. Sony needs to make sure they don't do that. They actually have games coming out. They actually buy studios when they can. But like I'm sorry, they need an answer to Games Pass and obvious it's do combine PS Now, PS Plus and like actually yeah, I just g- I agree. And I think in tandem with that, they need—they do need to fix backwards compatibility because, and this is where, knowing a little bit about the technical stuff, right, so PS Now to run PS3 games was literally still running like 40 nanometer or whatever they were on by the time they, you know, stopped making PS3s, cell processors. Like, they literally have clusters of cell processors still <laughs> running PS3 games. It's insane, but they do. Right. And, and they cannot do that forever. They will break. So they, they have to emulate. They have to emulate. They, right? I'm sure they have. They, that's what I'm saying. They have an emulator somewhere. They definitely have one because they're not going to keep making cell like 40 nanometer was like 20, you know, 2012 or something, or actually before that. That's what they were making it on. Okay, well then we went to 32, 20, 14, 12, 10. We're on seven and eight this year, like next year. No wait, 2021. Yeah, next year we'll launch five nanometer, four nanometer, like. <laughs> There's no way they're gonna keep using 40 nanometer cell processors till 2025. So I know they have an, uh, an emulator to run on standard processors. I know they do. Like uh, they, they need to, uh, even if it takes work, I, it's like, so then hire a team of 100 people to sit there and just one by one the top 100 PS3 games port it, one by one. How how You don't need to do a full port. Just y- build a general purpose emulator, Roll the game in, spend one month doing Q&A, making sure it runs in 4K, boom. Release it on the PlayStation Store for 10 bucks. Like, do you not want to make money? I I just don't understand what the fuck Sony's doing. Like, I I don't
1: know either. I mean, they they have all these patents too, where I, I talk about this as a trophy guy, where I'm like, don't you
0: understand that you could just release all your PS1 and PS2 games with, yes. with trophies on them? And and you can make it part of PlayStation Plus. You could say, every month, we're bringing a PS2 classic for free if you have PlayStation Plus. This is our competition, our longevity, our heritage. We're going to bring you one PS3 game or PS2 game. Every like every other month, we'll leapfrog. You know, now you get Resistance 1 with trophies in 4K. Oh, now you geez. get... You know, yes. Resistance, that one, or that one, Red, that one like uh, Uprising launch PS2 game, we like fighting Soviets. I love that game. Like, we're bringing that in 4K. You build a general purpose emulator. We know they already have one for PS2. And just if it's, if you're worried, have a team of 100 people, Q&A each one, once per month, and just release them to PlayStation Plus next to a PS5 game, there's your answer. You just matched, ah, I just dropped my pencil. You just matched Game Pass. It's like the incompetence that they haven't done that blows my mind. Like, it's so obvious. It just takes the will to do it. Right, and I also think that the
1: connection between late Xbox 360 era with Don Matrick and PS5 era now with Jim Ryan is that they're businessmen. They don't play games and I know that that's not always important operations and executive skill is important but you can just tell by the way Jim Ryan plays talks about games that he doesn't play them and he doesn't understand them and you need we need like the fact that they demoted basically Shuhei Yoshida. And they signed Scott Rohde and all these guys that know games to promote promote Jim Ryan, who doesn't know anything about games, I think is fine. But I think that they need to have someone whispering in his ear about, hey, this is why when you when you signed off on that PS3 and Vita closure thing, which you did sign off on, obviously, that was really fucking stupid. And you had no idea what you were talking about. And by the way, all these yes men around you have no idea what you are talking about. (laughs) Right. Like you need you, they need to have those kind. Co-
0: those Dude, kinds it's of it's worries me because I cover Intel a lot and they fell behind AMD. How does a company 10 times bigger than AMD fall behind in technology for five years straight or something, which is kind of what's happening? Well, they just completely lost any reality with like what people wanted, what they needed to design. They assumed no one would catch up to them again. It, I'm seeing parallels between Sony and Intel. It's starting to worry me a bit. I don't think it's as bad though. I don't I don't think it's like when Intel just buys McAfee for seven billion for some goddamn reason. I don't think it's that bad, but
1: well I, I don't think it's that bad either in the sense that people will bring up and it's it's right, is that Sony has so much inertia with right. PlayStation that I mean, they're selling all these all these consoles on inertia because there's really nothing Well, Intel bad. has inertia too, to be fair. <laughs> well i was i was as a layman i was always surprised because i remember growing up and intel being everything pentium and all that kind of stuff and if you had an amd processor car or an amd processor sticker on your thing people were like oh that's kind of bootleg and now (laughs) and now it's like totally different i was like "What?" you know i closed my eyes and i was like oh what happened i I was like always the shit everyone wanted intel but um now everyone just makes fun of them yeah well if you're that big and you're getting beat by your competitor then that's um, a 10th hey that gives sony hope because they're smaller too so maybe they can
0: um Well, that's the thing is they, that's always what made them compete with companies bigger than them is they had to succeed. Same with Nintendo. If Nintendo's gaming division doesn't work, it's a rounding error at Microsoft. Like (laughs) if it doesn't work at Sony, they're gone. So they have the heart. uh, You know what? If they have the heart, I know they have the drive to win. I just, it's going to be a very interesting year from now to see if if they're full of shit or not. I'm excited. I'm really excited for the next
1: year or so just to see what comes out and like what games come out, what games get pushed. And also just what the roadmap for Sony looks like. Cause I agree with you. I feel like they're going to say something soon.
0: They have to do an E3 thing. First of all, that
1: thing with blue box studios, I do not want to get into it.
0: But (laughs) Me and my brother analyzed it in the last, uh, I just, I can't, but my brother thinks
1: there's no way it's true. I think that it's too weird. Right. Like, I just think it's too weird
0: for there to be nothing there. But I can't even I can't again. I can't see. That's the part of me. I brought it up. You brought it up. That's the part of me that kind of wants that thinks it's true. But he brought up such a good point, which is just like, yeah, but like, how much money did it take to have this studio just sitting there screwing around? And I think that's the best argument ever is that this makes so... Little sense financially for this much effort to be put into this bizarre of a masquerade. The only thing that will be proven if this is true, because by the way, so like I I know that Silent Hills could have been. I know there's I'm pretty I'm fairly certain there's Metal Gear Solid remake coming. And I Silent Hills, I was told was like a decent chance a year ago, but I haven't been able to talk to that contact recently. So I I have no idea if it's still alive. Um, Yeah. Metal Gear Solid, I think, is pretty much guaranteed. Um, I I leaked. I believe I leaked it first. Although I know you leaked Demon Souls first. You definitely get yeah, credit for well, that. Same team. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> same team. Oh yes. Yeah, see, you're confirmed. You've heard things too. It's it's blue. It's yeah. It's blue point. Yeah. Blue points working on Metal Gear Solid remake, and that's what I I had like a whole deep dive I did in part of a podcast. Uh, I last think. Fall.
1: Yeah. I don't have it as I don't have it on the same. Like I knew demon. I I knew people that worked on Demon Souls and sure. And so that was different. But yeah, I mean, I think that th- that is what I understand as well. So. We'll see what happens. I don't. I don't know for sure. I'm not saying that. Please don't. You know, no one out there like you know, cite me. We'll see what happens. But um, well, I'm already fucked
0: but, if it's wrong. But uh, so well, I, don't <laughs> I don't care.
1: But I do have. I do have to run. I, I. don't
0: mean to be rude. Um, can I ask you one more question quickly? Then? Sure. Sure. Okay. Because yeah. this is from a friend of mine. If I didn't ask, he'd be disappointed. No, please. And he and he's my. You can tell he's my friend because he named himself after my parents' name just to screw with me. So he says. And this is his name on my Patreon. I love you, Lynn and Jim. So he's telling, (laughs) makes me say I love my parents every episode. That's nice. He says, TDC, the D would have been Dan. Dan is not here. First time, long time. Of the most established series in gaming, which do you think has the most potential to be knock it out of the park moment over the next year in terms of striking the balance between selling a lot of copies and receiving high reviews from the industry. A few examples on my list are the Tales of series Final Fantasy. Well, they already announced that as exclusive. A New Last of Us and Metal Gear, potentially. But I'd love to hear your thoughts. Keep choking that chicken. Tom's parents, Lynn and Jim. It's not my parents. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I
1: mean, uh, as, as far as the next year of games that will probably come out, I think I'm wondering about Horizon specifically bumping every. Like, I don't know if you saw Gorilla had a 250% ROI on Horizon's PC port, and they're clearly trying to mm. um, make no, I this didn't a that. Yeah, like they, they, it was in their financial, in Sony's financials, right? Like it was a, they made a massive amount of money on it. And I feel like they're trying to make Horizon into a thing. So I think in the, in the short term, I think. Very similar to Assassin's Creed to Assassin's Creed 2. I think you can see a, a, a jump where this becomes a really huge thing starting with Horizon 2. In the long term, I think that it's going to be about the revival. Like, Tales would be... I love Tales. That would be wishful thinking. But I think it's going to be about the revival of something great. And, and it's funny we brought up Konami because you have to feel like there... I'm sure you do, that there's so much latent power. It's like... And- in their brand that it's got to be like Metal Gear, Castlevania, something.
0: And that's the problem is Konami doesn't have the drive to really make these games anymore, but Sony does. So let them make you money. Like, I don't, (laughs) I don't understand. I think that that that's what the, don't you think that that's what the death stranding, Trailer was telling us. <laughs> oh, you right. mean the ad for the Metal Gear Solid <laughs> remake? Also, <laughs> like, with his Dutch flag on his own. It's just <laughs> Kojima is a psychopath.
1: <laughs> yeah, just think, what annoyed me too is that like people are like, oh, he just did that on his own, and I'm like, no, Sony did no! that. Which is even with which the music, worse. You cannot do that on your own. They would oh not. Oh. Sony would murder someone. I, actually, a, a marketer at a first party team when I tweeted out that there was no way he did that on his own, he's like, he's like, I can only imagine what Sony's lawyers would do. To Jima if if he did something like that you know so it's like you know that didn't happen in a in a a vacuum which is what makes it so fucking weird i I think it confirms he's not working on it but metal gear solid's coming i i I, I think that's what it is too but i think the dutch flag see the dutch flag thing could be a shout out to decima and gorilla yeah or
0: it could be a shout out to blue box Studios. Yeah, yeah, well, I, if anyone who's from the Sacred Symbols camp listens to this, we, we literally made it a major part of the last Broken Silicon simply because we ended up talking about the Blue Box conspiracy, even if it's off subject, for like 20 minutes because we couldn't get over how freaking weird it was. It's so weird. if you want to hear a counter-argument, though, where my brother basically just tries to kill everyone's hopes and dreams for 20 minutes, like, I think, and he actually makes a good case. I'd recommend that as well. But, yeah, I'll um, check
1: it out because I, I, I'm— um... God, I don't even know what to think.
0: <laughs> I, that's right. I'm in the middle. I, I really don't know. I, I think there's a, an absurd amount of coincidences, but at the same time, like really, they spent that much money from 2015 for something that then comes out? And I, I don't know. Koji was it a psychopath. If it's true, if it's not true, blue box is fucked. I mean, that's really all there is to say. <laughs> Indeed. No, I would totally agree. All right, Can't well, any I know you've got to go. I, I want to thank you for making this a rather girthy episode. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'm sorry that I have to go, quote unquote, so soon, but I, I promised my girlfriend I'd
1: eat with her tonight, so.
0: Well, you see, this is, she's the enemy.
1: She, she is. The enemy's within.
0: Thanks for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you. I hope we can talk Likewise. again. And uh, yeah, I mean, do you want to pl- plug yourself fully and, you know, confidently at the end here, though, so everyone knows where to find you?
1: Sure. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at No Taxation and uh, all my stuff's at um, Last Stand Media, which you can just go to laststandmedia.com and you can find all the podcasts from there and Patreon and whatnot. So be happy to have you in the community listening and and thank you again for having me. I had a really great time. It's always nice to talk about games with um, people that really understand them. And that's what we love doing on our shows too. So it's it's great. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Yeah. And I try to be a bridge. I try not to shame the people that don't follow, but uh yeah, thank you for coming on and uh I guess I guess that's it. Thank you for to everyone for listening. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon, co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.mooreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on broken silicon die shrink and loose ends, and, of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover States podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it, and so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, G.U.K., Benny Berlin, Justin Yott, Thomas Rupp, I Love You, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K., Tom Bailey, Mohamed Al-Khawari, Frederick Lau, James Krasa, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Drita Folt, Phil S., Courtney Elliott, the ninth dude, Greg Grenegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, the Mechanical Philosopher, Libo Ginkielo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, a guy in PA, Nathan Mose, Cole Addict, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name is Nobody, Judson N., Alethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wanchik, Ivan 214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Maggie McGee, Allie Robertson, Alec Jacks, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cock, Stefan, Original Ross, Tick Tickler, jo- jo- Joaquim Hagen, Total Silo, Sol Carter, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Gregory S., Acker, Endless Loggins, Tom Sanfilippo, Justice Brennan, Zoot Suit Taylor, Trevor Power, Stu, Alenia, Nanyon, Daniel Nishball, Franco Frederick, Dan Galanowski, Alex Carastillo, Dark Rain, 2049, Lane Perry, Joseph Caraman, and Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Denovan Russell, Zabra Z. Birds, Licky. Martin Por- Porceghi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulin, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stefan Coates, Kiwi Phil, Dehu Hu, Saralite, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Eddie Del Castillo, Joseph Loria, Luis Correa, Deke, Cheesy Ramen, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, jake Twenty Three, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou Markelli, Dave McCoy, Valco Maleb, Gabe Langner, Ronnie, Morton Svensson, Michael Deaton, Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Scott Ref Schneider, Mai Sharona, Y Truly Roman, William W. W. Draper, Air Rats, Wakir Khan, Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, S.S., Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Sammy Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rake, and Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R. Pete Sharma, Meat and Port, Jimmy N. G., Mads Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Z- Zijitz, Shield TV Couteau, Dane P., John Wizink, Sam Vensel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Jeremy So, James Anderson, Jesse J- Jaskowiak, Ian Clifford, Tyler Lindley, MJB1, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.